All right, everybody. Welcome to the Joe Kilgallen podcast, aka Kilgallen's Pub. Big shout out to all the listeners. You guys have been awesome. Got a lot of great feedback on last week's episode. So if you can check that one out, please do. I had uh, the owner of Mar Health and Fitness or Health and Performance, I mean, uh, Mike Riccio. We talked a lot about like just uh, getting yourself in shape and eating right, but more importantly, just like lifestyle stuff and the choices you can make to just operate better. Like it was cool stuff. He's not one of those health fitness guys. that's going to be like, Hey, why do you look like a fat turd? Stop looking like a fat turd. He's cool like that. He's a really good guy. Um, I'm laughing because my guest, I didn't mute and he's laughing already, but this, I'm very excited for this one. Very excited. Uh, one of my favorite dudes of all time to talk to a guy I used to work like just, uh, right next to, cause we produced, uh, communities you should know together. He's producing the communities you should know out in New York city and dominating that. Uh, one of the funniest comedians, one of the funniest people you'll ever meet. I actually started this a little late because I was taking a shit. He told me he's been having shit problems and he was on an HBO show called The Deuce. How do you like that for tying everything together? <laughs> uh, without further ado, let's bring on our guest, Mr. Mike Leibovitz. What's up, Lebo? Hey, what's up, Joe? How's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. It's, it's, Dude, good to see you. it's just the, the intro is hilarious. What a what a great show. Who are the health and fitness guys who tell you you look like a fat turd? Like, who is that helping? Are there are there health I, and fitness I, guys where that's their strategy? Well, you know what we did? He he used to work at an export and he kind of, he didn't trash it, but he did talk about how he couldn't stand how export was always trying to sell people on like the aesthetic where it's like, Hey, come here. We'll get you a six pack. Cause he's like, right, you right, know, right. he's not like that. He's not one of those like dudes. Um, cause he's, he preaches like health, like get in shape cause it's about your health. And, and he's, he's a great guy. You'd love him. Um, but I, bet. I do did you know that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was going to say that like. I think of those gym guys as being like the, come on, bro. You want to sign up? Sign up for our gym, dude. Well, you're not, you're not, you're not man enough to sign up for our gym. Like that kind of guy. And that's where right, I think right. the whole, what are you, fat turd came in? You know? It was, it was very funny. Did, did you know that I used to work at the uh, Export Fitness on North Avenue in Chicago? No, I did not. I did. What did you do? Before I started doing stand-up, I worked as a front desk girl at the um at the export fitness on north avenue and it totally is all about the image like the whole thing i was there when they first opened it and the whole thing is like it's like a movie set like they have all this like you know like spatter technique painted walls and stuff but it's all the shit is like all falling down you know it's all like it all feels like temporary construction but it's like glitz and glamour and they're totally just like sales driven it's just like sell them you know what one of my jobs was what was when uh, when somebody's credit card that we had on file to renew, you know, like every month when it didn't go through, my job was to go and type in these like secret codes to get it to authorize that like we had somehow gotten from the credit card companies. I don't know how it was like seemed very illegal. Yes, that does. Yeah. What's funny to me about that is I've been a member of Export at varying at different times of my 20s. And the, how did I get out of it? By my, my debit card expiring. I never went in there to be like, I'm done with your gym. It would just expire. And I'd be like, sweet. Now I don't have that $30 coming out of my uh, checking account every month. 
Yeah, but it's a good thing it wasn't a credit card because they would have kept, they would have figured out a way. Have you ever like gotten something where you're like your credit limit is whatever and the card is maxed out and then somehow like something goes through anyway and it's like above your credit limit what you owe? That's export. That's them. The city of Chicago has that now with the meters, the parking meters. You could have an app, which is pretty sweet, where, you know, you could refill the meter you know, so I was at Zany's over the weekend and the meter, you know, expired. So I just went into my app to put more money on. And I remember eight or nine months ago, one time my credit card, I went over my limit and I looked and it was the city of Chicago because the night before I, it was like, I owed three bucks, but I only had like a dollar on my credit card and it took out like, cause it's like $20 increments or something like that. They can overdraft like, you like that. Yeah. yeah. Shady bastards. But so dude, wait, man. so Zany's is open. Yeah, so we could talk about that because we actually just got the news. Everyone who's going to be listening to this, you'll be listening to this on Wednesday, October 28th. I believe that's the right date. The city of Chicago's, uh, well, the governor, Governor Pritzker, announced that starting Friday, pretty much everything is locking down again like it did back in March, essentially. He outdoor, it's weird. They're like all indoor service is done. You could still have outdoor, but it's fucking Just 40 degrees for now. winter. Yeah. Yes, right. exactly. So Zany's was open and Laugh Factory had been open and Comedy Bar. And the improv actually just had opened like two weeks ago. These clubs were all open, but they're operating at like 40% capacity, I want to say. And um, and then like a week ago, they announced a curfew where the city said no 10 p.m. So this weekend at Zany's, I did a 6 p.m. and an 8 p.m. show, and it was weird to be done by 9.30 on a Saturday night and be like, oh, okay, going home now. You know, it's weird doing two right. shows and then just have nothing else. And there's, and walking back to my car, you know Old Town. Anyone who's ever, for the listeners who have not been to the Old Town neighborhood in Chicago, it's there's a strip on Well Street, which is like bar, 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 all in a row, and it's usually slammed on a Saturday. It, there were people out, but it was weird seeing bartenders putting stools up on the bar at 9 45 as i was walking by yeah it's crazy no it must be totally different i remember coming out of those like saturday night shows at zany's and being on well street and it feeling like almost dangerous with just like how many like drunk white dudes are <laughs> yeah. are just like being drunk assholes like and all coked up and whatever and like you know, you don't want to walk by when, when you know, like Tiffany just walked out on him or whatever, because like you're going to, you know what I mean? It's just like it felt, it always felt like there was this like frat boy danger in the air walking down the streets there, man. So uh, Yeah, I agree, man, especially like on a college football Saturday when they've been drinking since two. I always felt it was a little bit more dangerous than like Wrigleyville. Wrigleyville's like very bro and douchey, but Old Town is bro and douchey, but with money. Their, yeah. their dad will sue you, you know, you're not winning that one. Yeah, man. Yeah. No, it's so interesting. Yeah. It's, um, and Zany's too, like they always had, so Zany's, I mean, I don't know if people are probably listening from all over the country, but Zany's is like the, you know, the original stand-up comedy club in Chicago and it's a tiny room and there's a sign in it that says, you know, like, you know, uh, from the fire department occupancy by more than like 89 persons is dangerous and unlawful, but they would you'd routinely get 140 people in there on a, on a Saturday, 130, 140, 150 people. And they just, I guess, had some understanding with the like fire department, but I don't know what it's like with COVID. Are they like serious about it with COVID or? The, yeah, they're serious. I think they've done a great job. Although I did share a picture from me being on stage on Saturday 
And a couple people I know who aren't like comedians, their like relatives were like, that doesn't look like six feet apart. That crowd looks pretty tight right. there. And I was like, no, it's the picture. It's the visual. Also when they're selling like groups, like if a group of four, they could all obviously be asses to ankles. They could be right on top of each other. And then it'll be another four or five feet between the next group. They did a, they did a really good job and they check everyone's temperature. When you walk into the club, they got like that forehead scan thing. Oh yeah. And those are fucking foolproof, right? Yeah. <laughs> Those yeah, are always those are, telling me my temperature is like 93.7. Like, okay, my fingers aren't blue, but if you say so, you know. Yeah. Like, no, you're, you're right. Those are kind of bullshit. My wife's in there. She never trusts so, them. Or the iPad ones. Have you seen the iPad ones? You no. like It's like an iPad oh, and God. you stand in front of it and it does has some kind of infrared thing and it tells you what your temperature is. It's like, sure, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's bullshit. I mean, I don't want to scare anyone and i know we have a lot of i think i have a lot of chicago comedy listeners because of when i see these people they go hey listen to your podcast there is an outbreak right now lebo there's a bunch of comics who have covid right now in chicago uh luckily uh, i've been retracing being like i didn't see you i didn't see you okay i'm lucky yeah i've been very safe about it my wife being a nurse having two little ones and my wife my wife works on like the covid floor so if i were to get it and she would have to take off work to take care of me she can't like i don't know if she gets yeah now you've got blood on your hands i mean yeah we're fucked right um because she's our income so i'd be really screwed so that's why i've been really careful about it well they probably still pay her right i mean it's not like man i mean i don't know what's going on with some of that stuff here's what's a sad reality uh america is the nurses who we were all calling heroes in march april and may my wife found out like in early june that she wasn't going to get a christmas bonus the hospital announced that they weren't doing Christmas bonuses this year and other such stuff because the hospitals aren't making hospitals usually make a lot of their money off of elective surgeries. Right. But no one's getting their boobs done right now. Exactly. And so, yeah, they were getting overtime and a lot of bonus money was had in their way, like bonus shifts. And so that was great. But, uh, there's a, a lot of little stuff that was part of routine benefits that are being taken away, which totally sucks. So, I mean, yeah, I don't dude. know. Our country is just, and I'm seeing everyone freak out <clears throat> that I know that I, you know, we, I know we know a lot of bar owners working in comedy and I feel for them. I really do. But the real travesty of it all is that if we had any kind of leadership or any kind at any level of government, really, why not just pay people to stay at home? Be like, Hey, we're going to freeze all rent and freeze all mortgages. And all, the only people who would suffer there is the banks, but you know what? Fuck you banks because we bailed your ass out before and we will again. Uh, and that way everyone just, we lock this down for real instead of having everyone freak. And cause I, I, I know a lot of bars that have closed over the last six months that aren't going to come back. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, a lot of them are not going to come back. Yeah. It's, and, it sucks. and, uh, yeah, it was so weird too. Like back in, I mean, my experience is I'm in New York and it's, it's different. Like none of that stuff is, there's no comedy shows indoors. There's stuff they do outside. Um, and I've done a few of those shows and they've been really great, but um, yeah, like in March when they first did the like, uh, what is it? The the pandemic unemployment supplement that was part of the first bailout. And they did like three different iterations of the, you know, pandemic relief bills. Yeah. It seemed like it was like, holy shit. It's for like a week or two, there was this like parting of the clouds and it was like, oh, this is our like aliens invade moment where we put it, you know, we put aside all of our petty differences and we come together for like the good of humanity. 
and you know, and it it just seemed like you you saw like, you know, all the Republicans voting for these what would normally be very sort of liberal bills in terms of you know just like the financial assistance, the six hundred dollar a week supplement, the, all of this stuff, um, and it, it just it felt like this has changed, and then that last that lasted for like, yeah, a couple of weeks. And then it turned into like, if you wear masks, you're gay or, you know, whatever, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like it, and then it just devolved into this. And now we're in this like weird holding pattern where I'll tell you, I hope every morning, the first thing I do is I open up, I look at the news on my phone and I just hope that somehow magically the election has happened already and it's over. It is it is coming quickly though. I don't know if you noticed that, but I I woke up this morning and realized, whoa, it's next week. Because I did early voting like a few days ago, first time I've ever early voted. Mm-hmm. Are you an early voter? I'm gonna vote on election day. See, I I'm gonna go back to that next time. Early voting, I had to wait in a line, and I remember uh-huh. being like, I never wait in a line on election day. And I've I've voted in Chicago most of my life, and then in California when I lived out there, and I've never and I've always done election day, never had a line problem. And I realized people said that there's only lines for early voting. And then on the day of, everyone's already voted. So you just, you know, I just like Christmas morning, right? That's how I view it. What is election day? Yeah, election day is like, you know, voting early is opening your presents Christmas Eve. Voting on election day, that's Christmas morning. I like the tradition of Tuesday, November 3rd or whatever. Let's do it. Voting day is like Christmas morning, but uh, some years you've been a very bad boy. Yeah, I mean, some years. You get a big old orange uh, lump of coal in your stocking, you know? Yeah. God damn. Dude, but, some uh, years father gets his load on and beats the shit out of you with the stockings, you know, <laughs> you gotta stay up real late those nights. It's 2 a.m. Right. You still don't know what's happening. Right, right, right. I remember staying awake uh, in the year 2000 to see who would win Gore or Bush. Do you remember that? That was, yeah, I was in Crazy. college and that was like the first like cable news. That was like the first big like event that happened when cable news was like a thing that most people had. And I remember just like watching cable news all day, every day for like a month while they were doing the recount. And it was like, that was sort of, yeah, that was like, and then the year after that was nine 11. And then, you know, then that was like that, that was like sort of the beginning of what felt like a different era. And then now the social media thing is, I guess it's a, a different one. 2016 was another like inflection point, just like in terms of the way that people absorb information and communicate with each other. Right. Yeah, no, you're right about the different era thing because post it really did start with the 2000 election, the Supreme court case of, you know, Bush v. Gore and then nine 11, every now and then I'll hear people say like, we need, we need to unite the country. We need to be more united. Like we were after nine 11. And I go, but it was such a phoniness after nine 11 before nine 11, I don't remember rah rah bullshit patriotism. I'm sure there were some people out there who were like that, but it felt like such a we, everyone, no matter what, if you were Democrat, Republican, Green Party, whatever the Libertarian, Fourth of July, yeah, you had some hot dogs and you blew some shit up, but that was that. I don't remember all of this like lapel flag pin on our fucking suits and and all this other kind of sh- bullshit that came along. But right around Bush Gore was the emergence of 24 hour news that led through that first Bush term of 9-11, everyone's a suspect and, you know, we're a terror alert levels, right? Remember that terror alert level every fucking day and a new Michael Moore documentary. And then that rolled right into social media that's carried us right through all this other stuff. And I feel like 
this idea of a truly united America is just never going to happen because it's too much entertainment value or not value. Cause I get no value of it, but too much money in div- division. Meaning like sure. I've said this before, if you watch sports center and then flip to Fox news or MSNBC and you do that button, you know, on your remote where it goes to the previous channel and you could go back and forth. It looks the same. They got the ticker at the bottom, which I could actually do. No, don't want to lag. Yeah, hold on. I can do it. Uh, maybe I can't. Wait. Yes, I can. Boom. Look at that. Support the Patreon, Look everybody. At that. Um, Comedy on Patreon. There you go. So it's the ticker at the bottom. Then it's like flashy set design, the desk. Every, every fucking piece of news is breaking news. It used to be like important shit was breaking news. Now it's breaking news. Mitch McConnell is walking to another senator's office. They might have lunch. We're not sure. <laughs> right, right, right. Breaking you know? news. McConnell's still a spineless piece of shit. You see the pictures of his hands? What the fuck is going on with that dude? Is he dying? I hope I so. I don't I'll know. say I it. Guess... I hope he dies. He's a horrible piece of shit. Okay. Yeah. I, he, Maybe that's yeah. too much. I don't but know. But it's to be expected. I mean, like, I mean, like, people are so mad about the Supreme Court. Like, so mad and and i understand it and the, and you know that whole thing with like they blocked merrick garland you know in obama's last you know, we can't confirm a, a supreme court justice in the last year of a presidential term before an election um and now that of course what is it seven days before an election they've just confirmed a justice and you had of course lindsey graham was hilarious please use my words against me do you remember that <laughs> where he said specifically that. if the if the teams were reversed then you know, and we had control and there was a Republican in the White House, like we wouldn't, you know, advance his nominee and you can use my words against it. But you also like, his there's, words there's a limit oh, Lord. to how- I'm Lindsey Graham. Oh Lord. I'm sorry. That's how he sounds to me. He really yeah. does. That's not homophobic shit anyway, either anybody. He really always sounds like a damsel in distress. Whenever he used my words against me, I'm Lindsey Graham. That he just sounds that way to me. Am I crazy to think that? He just sounds <laughs> no, like a southern like belle. Kind of a good, that's a good impression. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's fairly accurate. I mean, I didn't mean to cut you I off didn't there, know but you like, characters. Sometimes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do the gym guy that calls you a turd, and I do Lindsey Graham. <laughs> Keep them. Keep them both. Yeah, they're both keepers. Yeah, but I mean, like, what do you expect? That's that's the whole thing. I've stopped getting really mad about this stuff because I expect it. And it, so then it seems crazy to be mad. Like, you know, people are like, oh, well, this politician's a liar. Well, of course he's a liar. Like, that's his, he says certain things so that you, he can get your vote. And then when you find out that he was just saying what you wanted to hear, like you're going to get mad, like he's a politician. That's like, you know, spineless panderer is the job description. Like 100%. that. So yeah, of course it sucks, but like, but I just can't get so mad because it's like, I would, ex- they did exactly what I would expect them to do. So yeah, I mean, the situation is, not ideal, but like, what are you gonna, you know, you have all these like Southern states that just like are still fucking mad about us saying that they couldn't have slaves. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and like, so now they're like, fine, we'll stay in the country because you made us through your war of Northern aggression, but we're just gonna try and fuck up the whole experiment from here on out. Like, that's basically the mission is just to like torpedo the whole fucking thing. 
It's a shame too. I know so many great Southern people too. Um, and it used to be. Okay, I'm not Repu- trying to offend your Southern audience. I mean, I don't even but- know what my Southern audience is, but don't worry about <laughs> it. I got I got a buddy in El Paso, but I don't even know if he considers himself Southern. Is El Paso, Texas? I know it's in the South, but um, I don't. I think more like when I think Southern, I think like Alabama and Georgia. I don't always count Texas for some reason, even though it very much is, but it's not like Confederate, you know, was Texas part of the Confederacy? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. for sure. Big time. All right. Big time. In fact, Juneteenth was the celebration of, Oh yeah, that's of, right. Of the, of the, um, formerly enslaved in Galveston, Texas, learning that they had been emancipated. So was yes. it like years after too, they should have been emancipated or like um, a while. Yeah. I think the war had been over for a while and, and the war didn't get to them, but yeah, that's right. I don't I'm terrible with civil war history. I'm pretty good with world war two revolutionary Vietnam. I know like I could tell you like certain things, but uh civil war, I was never there. I know Sherman burned Atlanta. Um, like, you know, some, a few things here or there. I know. Yeah. I mean, but, uh, uh Texas, I should have known of course, because it's, well, you, I know there's a couple Southern, not a couple, but where was it? I was like, was Kansas part of the Confederacy? No, right? That I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I've been to was like it a, even state, a or, state at that time. I don't think it, it was, but I know I've driven through like Kansas or even part of like Nebraska where there's like Confederate flags everywhere. And I'm like, why the fuck do you guys have Confederate flags? You're, you're one part of that shit. Well, you see them in Michigan. It's I like, know it's just, a, which is such a symbol of racism. Then I, I, I won't listen to people pretend like it's for states' rights. Yeah. Like, nobody cares about states' rights enough to have a fucking flag for it. It's a hidden agenda. You like pissing people off. And that's what the whole flag thing is. I, I don't remember any Obama flags. I see tr- I like literally there's a truck I've seen twice on the northwest side of Chicago that drives around with a huge Trump flag, like out of the back of the truck. And I'm like, I know it's he's thinking I'm pissing off liberals. I'm pissing off these yeah. fuckers. Well, no, that the whole Trump candidacy is the like it's the troll candidacy, right? It's like so these people at the at the Trump rallies, they get so excited. They they don't. It's not like they believe any of this bullshit. It's like you try and point out, like, no, that's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. You know, I saw a piece in, in ninety minute speech. He told one hundred and thirty two lies. You know, something like that. You, you know, but you can't you can't tell any of these people that because they already know. The whole point is that he hates all the same fucking elite. You know, you know, um, condescending. You know big city bastards and so he's really going to stick it to them and so they like that yeah i mean isn't that what it is i don't i mean that's one thousand percent i mean the the john mccain style of being a republican which i i yearn for i have friends who were like that once upon a time and i'm like yeah this is great you just want less taxes i could i could have a conversation with you and then it started to morph into the republicans that are crazy religious who think you know hurricanes are caused by gay marriage and shit like that. And now it's the trolls. You're right. It's people who want to uh, own the libs or piss people off. Yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. And that's what Trump represents. He hates the same people they hate. But what cracks me up is on paper, they should hate him too. He's Manhattan. He's, you know, he would never, he wouldn't let any of them near uh, Mar-a-Lago, whatever the fuck his country club is. He wouldn't let them even near, they, would, they couldn't even pull up. He'd be like, get the fuck away from me. And yeah. he's a politician. I, I hate this notion too. You know, we talked about politicians being politicians and being a, a fucking snake as part of the job title. People were like, I'm voting for Trump because he's not a politician. I go, look, he's never held office, but you don't think what he does isn't a, what a politician does. Greasing wheels, doing all that shady shit. 
you know, paying like, you know, supporting and there'll be like Senate races in New York. He gave Hillary a shitload of money, but I think he gave the other person money. That's all. That's all politics. Billionaires at that level operate in the same world and it is politics. 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's a pretty hilarious argument to be the sitting president and say like, don't vote for this guy. He's a Washington insider. It's like, you live in the white house. Yeah. You can't you live in, in the white house. <laughs> like he, he lives in Delaware. You know what I mean? Like you live in the middle of the DC mall. Like, it's uh, it's pretty hilarious, um, but yeah. And to reference something we talked about before we hit record, it's so interesting that so many of the people that he's hired in his circle, and you you've seen this a little bit too. I don't. I think they're they definitely have racism to them, but I definitely think more so is that they just hate government because they hate any rules that they might have to follow. So they have this. You know, they're very libertarian in, in nature, but then they come in, take over the government and then say, look, this government doesn't work. Totally. Yeah. I mean, like the whole, like, I think that like sort of tea party strand in the Republican party, which was, you know, I guess the sort of dominant strand before the, like the Trump nihilist, just like, obviously we're here just to you know, burn this place to the ground, whatever the fuck it is now, but that whole tea party, that whole limited, basically, I mean, the way I looked at it is like, you have two parties, two parties kind of make sense. If you have like, you know, two parties that are different parts of the ideological spectrum, you know, it's like, well, I think government should be like this should be more um, geared towards equality and, and, and more geared towards like lifting people up and the other people will say, well, I think it should be more geared to individualism or whatever, or, you know, or liberty, right? It's liberty and equality are the two, you know, like conservatives are into liberty and, and liberals are into equality or whatever, you know, like yeah. whatever ideological underpinning there is but basically you have the democratic party which is like moderates and liberals and then you have the republican party which yeah like as you just said is basically just hostile to the very notion of government and that's been the the whole you know the republican ethos since at least the reagan era is starve the beast right it's like cut taxes so the government doesn't have enough money so that it has to become smaller so that it doesn't encroach upon your life. But it's basically an anti-government party, which is running the government. And so now the situation that you have is like you have all, you know, every mandate that the federal government should be responsible for, except for national defense is drastically underfunded. And so, so then they can get up there and say like, look, government doesn't work. And then just like, keep the thing going. So we need to get rid of it even more. You know, they waste your money. It doesn't work. It's like, well, it doesn't work because you have starved it of resources. And yeah, I mean, it's basically, so I think like the only sensical two party system would be to just get rid of the Republican party and then divide the democratic party into its more moderate and more leftist wings and let them fucking fight it out because they're the only rational people who are actually trying to come up with real solutions, you know, that government can arrive at to improve people's lives. Like as far as I can see. Absolutely. And both of us, we're not giving the democratic party a pass because talk about incompetent democratic party. Oh Jesus. (laughs) 
<laughs> wow. Yeah. Talk about a bunch of losers, you know, and there's really, and, and yeah, I line myself more with their beliefs. I consider myself a very center left person. And I noticed the democratic party is just so dysfunctional. And even like you threw around the word liberal a little bit, this is a new thing. And this might just be some Twitter bullshit. Really? There are progressives and liberals, which I thought were pretty much the same thing. I thought progressive was just a, a cooler sounding version of saying I'm a liberal where people can't go, oh, you're liberal and give you shit, you know? But now I'm, I'm learning that their liberal is being attached to neoliberal, which is like, you know, new liberal, I get all that. And they're basically saying that they're like the Hillary Clinton liberal where they're not really liberal. They're more centrist and even more Republican in the way they want to govern because they still are huge capitalists and corporatists. And then there's the Bernie Sanders wing of the Democratic Party, which is not in the Democratic Party because he's an independent. Uh, as much as Democratic I like Bernie, yeah. yeah, he's a Democratic Socialist, which Democratic Socialists, if you break down what they believe in, so many, a majority of Americans would be like, yes, I want that. But they're so stupid. They put the word socialist on it. If they would have renamed it moral capitalism, everyone's like, yeah, let's do it. Because I've talked to people. And they go, sorry, I don't want yeah, that yeah. Bernie Sanders shit here. I want to be able to own a business. And I go, why wouldn't you be able to own a business under a Bernie Sanders government? Because uh, he's socialist. You can't own your own business under social. That's what they think. Because they, the word socialism has had propaganda against no, it for 60 it, fucking totally. years. And, and the, the media totally kneecapped Bernie again this time around. I mean, I don't think this was his year. I think his year was 2016. Agreed. And, and what they did to him was was fucking shameful. And yeah. we, I have some thoughts about that. We can get into it if you want to. Uh, but but they did it. the same thing. The media did it. The Democratic Party did it last time. This time the media did it. When he was when he finally pulled ahead of Biden and he was leading right after New Hampshire, then they start talking about Castro. All of a sudden, now the media is talking about Castro. And it's obvious that like the... And that's one of the things is like some of these, you know, the, the Republicans say a lot of outrageous things, but there is a kernel of truth to a lot of them. And that's what makes them stick. Right. And one of them is so to say that, like the liberal media, well, most of the people in, you know, at the New York Times, at the Washington Post, at the all the most influential newspapers at CNN, the people who work in the in the newsrooms, they're all Democrats. Yeah. You know, they are. They try as hard as they can, I guess or at least they did to, you know, deliver the news like straight, but they do, they are. So when they say the liberal media, like they are liberal, you yes. know, or they are, they're Democrat, they're partisan, right? They're, they're partisan tem Democrats, the people who are doing the jobs. Right. And then they start talking about Castro because they're like establishment. The New York times doesn't want Bernie Sanders. They want, you know, they, uh, Buttigieg or, or, uh, um, maybe, yeah. Or Klobuchar or whatever. You know, so they started, you know, they did that. Um, yeah, I, I agree. The media definitely, I think 2016 was Bernie's year. I I did three fundraiser shows for Bernie. I had Bernie, did I, did I have two shirts or one shirt. I had some buttons. I was all in on Bernie and I hate Facebook, but I'll still go on it. And the only thing I kind of enjoy from Facebook these days is Facebook memories because this time of year, I'm getting a lot of cool Cubs World Series stuff. And I could talk about how I, <laughs> we could talk about that in a little bit about how I watched game seven of the World oh, Series. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a great, great story. Great moment, yeah. great story between the Let's two of us. Let's put a pin in that one for sure. And I, uh, I, I was bummed, so heartbroken when when Bernie didn't make it, when he bowed out, and I kept thinking the DNC screwed him, all this stuff. And you're right, the media definitely played some dirty games in 2020, but I was still irked with Bernie in the sense that 
I thought he had four years to figure out, okay, they don't like me, but I have to win the nomination. So how do I gain favor of this Democratic establishment? Maybe he thought it was impossible. I'm not going to gain their favor anyway, so I'm just going to keep being me, and hopefully that'll be enough. But I also thought to myself, it's like, dude, I, I don't know. I thought like, and maybe this wasn't on him. I just thought that it, it became so clear that it was Bernie versus the world in the wow. DNC. When, and that's why we got Biden, which was most people's, Biden was maybe my fifth or sixth choice if I looked at all the people, you know. Um, I think he'll be a much better leader than this piece of shit we have now, though. But still, not high on my list. I think Bernie could have at least, hey, I'll, I'll join the Democratic Party. I, I'll take the eye away from my name and become part of the party. Let me work together. Let's figure out a platform. I, I am a serious contender, and you guys saw what happened. I could cry fucking fouls for the neck from in 2017, 2018, 2019. I can make your lives living hell, but let's play. I don't know. I just thought he could have done a little bit of that. And you're right. The media did screw him in a lot of ways, bringing up Castro. Though I think the Republican party would have gotten to that. Um, sure. And, and I think that's why the media did it is because they're like that. This is going, this is going to be the line of attack and it's going to be fatal. So we should do it now. But let me touch on this very quickly before I forget, because I'm not that smart. You brought up uh, how the New York Times, Washington Post, they're the people who run those and write for those publications are Democrats, which I agree. And I do believe there was a time in which they were, uh, you know, just giving you the news and they weren't really like leaning strongly one way or another, other than the editorial pages. I think, though that some of these publications have just said, fuck that now, because the, the truth is being under attack these last four years. And I hear liberal media a lot, but the conservative media is even more dominant. What dominates AM radio conservative stations, Fox news gets way better ratings than CNN or MSNBC. So when I hear the liberal media influence, I'm just kind of like, I don't think it's that strong that I don't, or even close to as strong as the right wing wants you to believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're definitely right about that. I mean, I think that the conservatives saw much earlier that um, facts are unimportant. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so like, everything basically is editorial in, in right-wing media and left the mainstream media has a, a underlying biases because of who they are, but it's not all editorials. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there are news pieces and there are editorials and they're different. And I think you're right. I think that that is starting to disappear. I mean, if you watch CNN, it's everything is a hit piece on the president as it, in my view, it should be yeah. because he is a sort of existential threat to the Republic. I mean, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I mean, I, I think like if you just put ideology aside, like I think that like the aliens invading the earth is that's Donald Trump. I mean, I think that like that's the threat to, uh, you know, to our society is like this person who is going to, you know, take all of the competent people out of, uh, you know, out of um, uh, administrative positions is going to take all the competent people out of the 
National Institute of Health. He's going to turn the whole government into a cult of personality around him. And I think like wherever you stand um, on the ideological spectrum, like we should all unite around preventing that because, you know, America is a nation founded on ideals, right? And although we've never, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm busy, pal. I'm uh, <laughs> sorry, I got kids coming in here. What do you need? No, go for it. It's fine. I get it. I'm a dad. Yeah, you can use those. I'm on a very important podcast where I'm making <laughs> very important. <laughs> you want to say hi to Joe? Say hi to Joe. Oh, hey. that's Cyrus. Hey, Cyrus. I don't ever use them. No, uh, I have a broken pair of glasses, and he wants to know if I ever use them. Hey, buddy, I can't talk right now. All right, thank you. How <laughs> um, <clears throat> old now? If you don't mind me asking, he's eight. He's eight. eight. Wow, God. So, okay. I think I was in the middle of comedy. You were in the middle of like a great, like, <laughs> as we were talking, I'm like, this is going to make a great clip. I really did think I know. That. I'm like, I'm hoping um, that, yeah, I don't know if no, I was you're talking about the, America is founded on ideas. No, but it is. It's an, it's, yeah. It is a, a nation that, that is founded on ideals. And those ideals are actually, I think, what people mean when they talk about liberalism. There are a democratic society with, um, with uh, sort of liberties guaranteed for the citizens who, um, the chief among them being the freedom of expression. So, I mean, that's kind of like, like, I've heard other people talk about that as the master value or the master freedom, which sort of allows all the other freedoms to exist is, is what we have enshrined in, in, in the first uh, amendment. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, Donald Trump is a threat to, to all of that. So, so I think like liberal or conservative Anyway, I'm all. That's a long way around to say I think CNN is justified in every every piece being a, a hit piece, and and the New York Times is justified in every piece being a hit piece, and and um, I don't know if it works. I think it maybe just further drives the wedge, but I, I don't know what else you do if you're trying to like accurately report the news. Like there was a early on in the Trump presidency, there was a lot of hand wringing from the New York Times about whether they should use the term lie to describe what Trump was doing rather than falsehood or misleading statements. And they made some decision at some point, like we just need to just say it because we've said falsehoods before and for other politicians. And this is not of a piece with what those other politicians have done. I mean, like the fact, the fact that the president, of course, all politicians lie. And we've talked about that you know, on and off the air. All, all politicians do lie and they bend the yes. truth and they prevaricate, but nobody comes close to what, like, like you can almost guarantee that what comes out of his mouth is not true. You know what I mean? It's not like, oh, he snuck it in. It's like, if he says something true, he snuck it in. Yes. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like, it's been flipped. So it's, it's incredible. And there may be people who want that, right? Who just want to, like, I think that's what a lot of the people who support Trump are is like this project that we call America. And I think the part that I didn't get to because I was interrupted by my fucking kid, <laughs> the part that we didn't get to is that of course we never lived up to those ideals, right? I mean, you want to talk about the treatment of the native Americans, or you want to talk about the black experience in this country. You want to talk about the internment of, um, of uh, Japanese Americans, you know, these rights that are the ideal of this liberal um, democratic society that, that was set up have never been realized. But I do think that 
we have been meandering closer towards it with detours along the way. And this is just like a fucking, this is like reversing the flow of the Chicago river, man. You know what I mean? It's just like sending it back where it came from. What an amazing uh, so, feat of engineering that was. No, I know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But is it more impressive than Donald Trump? I mean, is it really? <laughs> no, it's not. And that's it's, the thing. You're, you're right. You're saying that these, <laughs> You know the, the New York Times and the CNN should be going after Trump, and they're they're in the right to do that because this guy really is. I just think he's so damaging to our culture in so many ways because so many people could be like, "Hey, the economy hasn't been has been pretty good over the last three years or so." Even though I don't really give him that much credit, and the, the income inequality is getting deeper and deeper, and that doesn't get reported by the stock market. So people well, right, are and it was just judging. continuing a trend that was happening under the previous administration, anyway, which is which they weren't really responsible for either. But yeah, yeah, not really, not really. That's true, and I just think that it's they don't realize how detrimental, how terrible Trump is going to be going forward, and that's why I think. Part of me was okay with Biden because I go, he could win because people don't hate Biden the way they hated Hillary. I think by Trump's winning the presidency was kind of this weird, perfect storm where he needed a candidate like a Hillary. If he was facing, if it was Martin O'Malley, who was number three in 2016 for the Democrats. Remember the governor of Maryland? Right, he was, was a just, distant third, but yeah. He was a very distant third. <laughs> no, extremely distant. But if Trump was running against a guy like that, a guy that nobody really knew about, nobody liked, but nobody really hated, I think Omar O'Malley would have kicked his ass. But Hillary was just, he needed a polarizing figure yeah. to go against. Yeah. And Biden's never really been polarizing. I know they're trying to make him out to be that way now with, oh, he sniffs women's hair and his son did this and that. But up until then, people were like, yeah, Biden's fine. No, I don't know anyone who really like hated Biden. I've known people who have hated Hillary since 1994. And a lot of them were probably Democrats who they were like, who's this bitch talking on TV all the time? Like, you know. They couldn't yeah. stand her. And that's yeah. where our politics have become. It's like, who's a brand name? Trump's been a brand name since the 80s. Hillary's been a brand name since the early 90s. And Bernie had, that's what was so impressive about Bernie in 2016. He was polling at 1% and nearly closed the gap in like, you know, eight to 10 months or whatever the health timeline it was. Yeah, And I just think about Trump where it's like, look what this motherfucker represents. Just the horrible shit he says. And it's it goes back to the, Oh, you're a snowflake or uh, but the participation trophy generation. Oh, you don't like him because he speaks his mind? No, I don't like him because he's a fucking lying cunt. And there, I just spoke my mind. You okay with that? No, you guys would cry right, and hide right. under a shell. They're fake tough guys, which is why they support the military and the police. Those are the only civil servants they support. Anyone that's like firemen, you know what I mean? They hate teachers. They hate like anyone, right, like else anyone who, who could show up at your house and turn out to actually be a stripper upon further investigation. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I mean, that's the only government spending they're for yeah, yeah. is to support uh, like the tough guys. Cause they don't want to lose the tough guy vote. I guess the nurse teacher could show up and be a stripper too, but a male stripper a talking male about stripper. a male stripper here. It's gotta be cop firemen. Right. I mean, if a cop and fire, if if they showed if the village people showed up to Lindsey Graham's door, oh my, would he be flustered? <laughs> oh my, oh the vapors. <laughs> well, so I actually Lindsey have Graham. a I have a theory about all of this. Do you want to hear it? I would love to. Okay, so I think that when you choose a um, a uh, 
what, what the country wants, right? What the country's appetite for in terms of a leader is always predicated on the leader who came before. You got everything you need over there? No, hold on one second. Sorry, for some reason, my battery. I'll be right, give me one. You keep talking. Um, I'm listening, but I got to fiddle with a cord while you talk. I'm, I'm, I'm got, I got you. You want me to fill the, fill the space? Okay, I got you. Yeah, fill the so dead air if you could. The, um, the, uh, the, the leader that we're looking for is always predicated on the energy of the leader who immediately came before. So when Obama came into office, you, this is too distracting. I'm sorry, it's too distracting. Here, uh, well, tell me what's happening. I need to know what is happening. Uh, my, I, I just got a thing saying low battery, and I don't know why because I thought my charger's in. I think my charger's in. What uh, about your mic? My, I, you can hear my mic, right? Yeah, your mic is still working. But why the fuck is the charger not in? Is it plugged into the uh, floor or the wall? Uh, yeah. Hold on. This podcast had so much potential. I know. I'm sorry. Don't worry. I'm gonna obviously I'll edit this part out. But uh... <laughs> oh yeah, we're not live. That's right. Yeah. Joe, are you still oh, there? I'm here. Okay, can you your see picture's me out, but I can hear you. Now you're back. I'm back in. The charger's working. What was the problem? Just so I know. For I my think own I switched mind. outlets. I think the one outlet must not be working. And then I had to put, I, I took the plug out of that outlet and put in another one. I don't right. know why. You know what it is? These, these, these fucking book chargers are so fucking fat now. I bought a new MacBook like a few months ago and They're I noticed that. What's that? They're fat turds, the book chargers. They are. They're fat. They got to tighten their, themselves up. Now I got the arrow over my face. All right. I'm so sorry. I'll not remember with the 45 minute mark. So I'll remember where to fucking make a note of where to edit that shit. Okay, go ahead. Well, so this is my theory on like, um, you know, what you were talking about, about like, you know, why Biden might be better uh, than Hillary. I mean, that's sort of the general bent of what you were talking about, right? As terms of winning in a, a national in terms of election, election against yeah. a Trump type. Yeah. My wife and I were just like talking about this earlier. She, she asked me, um, you know, do you think that Biden would be a better president than Hillary. And I said, actually, probably not. I think she, he's a more electable candidate, but I think that she's probably more on the ball, you know, but who knows? Who knows? I think she's I mean, a sharper person. But um, yeah, but this is a, uh, yeah, she's, I think she's smarter. I mean, put it like that. I think she's more intelligent. I agree. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, so I think that like, there's always um, the candidate has to be of the moment. It has to be what the the country craves in any one given moment. And so that's why it was Obama's moment in 2008 is because he'd come at on the heels of this kind of shoot from the hip cowboy. And yeah. he's this very calm, cerebral, thoughtful, measured guy who, you know, and that's what's like, we just come off of this. Hey, we do this. Hey there, Brownie, you're doing a great job. But, you know, and we wanted something that was like, okay, we did that for a while for, for eight years. And now we're ready for something else like energetically dispositionally. And that's what Obama was. He's this like super reserved professor, extremely articulate, extremely cerebral. He's kind of like the anti-Bush. Then after eight years of Obama, we were ready for something like, okay, we've just had this like, you know, law professor, we want, we want to shake it up. 
We want to shake things up. So Trump on the Republican side was the shake things up candidate. And Bernie on the Democratic side was the shake things up candidate. And those were the two people who had a shot. And then you put, you put in Hillary, who might have been very qualified for the job. And of course, sexism probably plays into it too. I mean, I don't want to come after me, but I fucking, I get it. I get it. We're, we're misogynistic and that definitely plays into it. But I also just think it wasn't, her energy wasn't right for the moment. Like the moment was a shake things up moment, not a, another like, you know, reserved wonk, super calculated. It's just, that wasn't what the moment called for, you know? And now I think after just the intense, chaos of the Trump years, whether it happens now, as I hope it does, or in, if he does get another four years, which I don't know if we make it, we survive. But if we do, I mean, the next president after Trump has to be somebody who counters the cruelty, you know, and I think Biden is perfect. His brand is basically compassion and someone who counters the chaos. And I think Biden is perfect for that because he's basically a politician out of central casting. You know what I mean? Like like you said, like Martin O'Malley, he might as well be Martin O'Malley. You know what I mean? Knowing right. nothing about Martin O'Malley, but he is like, if ever there was a guy who is a politician, it's fucking Joe Biden. You're you know, right. and I think that like, that's just what the country hungers for is like, oh, can we just have like a regular president? Just like a president, like, you know, like on TV or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's not consuming our waking every waking hour of the day. Then that's where Trump, you got to give him a lot of credit. He is kind of, you know, this, I mean, Hitler was like this too, but these like masters at controlling the PR. He goes on tweet tirades at five 30 in the morning because he knows it's the first thing the morning news is going to cover. So he controls the fucking cycle and yeah. they buy into it every fucking time. And he trolls to control. He does. He trolls to control. <laughs> yeah. like Some freaking uh, evil PR person is going to catch that and be like, I'm going to use that one. That's yeah. Like, that's well, going to be a dry erase board. Well, you know, we will have this time stamped. I mean, this is ours. They got to yeah. pay for it. But, and I'm but gonna, dude, I mean, I'll tell you, like, Biden is compassionate. I mean, that's his brand is like yeah. compassion, decency. I believe him, though, too. I actually believe I look, I, there's a lot of things I disagree with him strongly on, but I do think he is a compassionate person. I've seen enough evidence uh, you know, videos over the last decades of him, like, you know, literally stopping to talk with people and, and hugging people. And I, I think well, that and part he lost of him a is wife genuine. and he lost a son and he, you know, I mean, he's like, he's, he's dealt with grief. Him. He's like yeah. sort of the griever in chief. You know what I mean? He gives all these eulogies at the, I agree with you. Um, I also think that Biden is kind of like the Jerry Seinfeld of politicians where he's, you know, like, well, it's Jerry Seinfeld legalization. Well, I was going to say Seinfeld is like he's nobody's favorite comedian. Yeah. But like everyone can get on board. You know what I mean? Like It's funny because when I started stand up, when I started stand up, he was my favorite. He actually really inspired me to start stand up too before yeah. I even thought about it. I went to uh, his concert at the Rosemont Horizon. Someone had taken me there. And this I, little light went in on my head where I realized there's 10,000 people here. I'd been doing improv at the time. I realized there's 10,000 people here. Tickets were a hundred bucks. There's no set. There's no band. I think he just made a million dollars tonight. <laughs> Maybe. You know, I did you the quick have. math. He probably made, he probably didn't make quite a million, but he probably made half a million. I would. Yes. Easily. I, I not easily, but I'm sure he made $500,000 more than likely. 
Yeah. I would agree. Dude, that's well, maybe we could shift a little bit then. We could touch bit Biden is like Seinfeld, but maybe we could get in a little comedy right now. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, man. We got we got no, no, man. It was good. I, I wanted to get your opinions on it, and then we'll probably circle back because uh I wouldn't mind um uh talking about like what you think's gonna happen next week and what kind of aftermaths we might look be, be looking forward to or not looking forward to, I should say. Well, I'm just I'll tell you this, we could get back into it, but I'm glad that I before uh last august i moved to a house in the woods you know i'm like i'm i feel good here like whatever happens like i think i'm gonna be yeah being out, being safe out in, the in the immediate you know in the immediate uh yeah, yeah. eventually it'll get out here i'm in a big like city but i'm in a safe part of it but... so yeah that's yeah, true actually i heard the coronavirus uh, yeah, the two states are getting harder <laughs> What's that? I was going to say that that you mentioned being out in the middle of nowhere. I was going to say the two states getting hardest hit right now by coronavirus is uh, North Dakota and South Dakota. Again, smoke yeah. right now. A lot of deaths there for right. small populations. Anyhow, I do want to talk about comedy with you. Dude, I was thinking about this shit just early last week for whatever reason. Because um, we, you know, comedians, you should know Chicago. You run the New York one, and I helped run the LA one for a time. The LA one actually did an outdoor show. A couple weeks ago that they like co-produced with uh renee gautier remember renee of course yeah and oh, uh it was an outdoor show in a really cool like venue behind a barber shop that the parking lot was weird i was talking to ryan dalton and uh, him and aaron weaver were uh, like the CYSKLA producers they were saying this parking lot had four walls and i'm like that's like our stadium what do you mean four walls they're like yeah you got to go through this one to the back and then you open it up and it's this big like almost like a courtyard but it looked huge and uh, they had Bill Burr on it, fresh off SNL. Oh, and, awesome. And um, a few other big names. Yeah, it was a great uh, great show. They sold it out. So that's good news for any of our LA listeners. Go check out the next one. It'll be on Halloween. So this Saturday, they're doing one. It's the the uh, American Barbershop in Echo Park neighborhood of Los Angeles. It's on Sunset. That's all I can tell you. I don't have any more details. Anyhow, yeah. though, CUSK Chicago, we were talking about like, yeah, hey, we got to have a meeting again because we did one outdoor show. Uh, we don't know if we could do another outdoor show, but we wanted to meet to talk about some other stuff because obviously it's getting cold. But this one well, venue actually... I mean, for, for, I don't know if your listeners know this, but the main driving force behind CYSK is meetings. Yes. We always got to meet. Always got to meet. Had, you had Danny on the podcast, I'm sure, right? No, I have not. Danny Callis is my white whale for podcast guests. He won't come on or what? He just refuses to do podcasts. He thinks he's going to say something that later he's going to regret or... Well, you will. I'm sure I already have. Who cares? I, yeah, exactly. Who gives a shit? <laughs> like, I tell him, I'm like, dude, I don't have... My my listeners aren't that big. It's it's a pretty small podcast, buddy. You know? Um, no, and Danny... Oh, it um, is? Oh, fuck this, man. I got to go. Yeah, get the fuck out of here. Uh <laughs> He's he's you know how Danny is. He is the driving force, the godfather, as I like to call him, the CEO of Communities You Should Know. The meetings were always hilarious. I'm glad you brought up the meeting because I legitly wanted to talk meetings with you because you, I feel like, probably could recap how insane they were better than anybody. You you don't miss Ooh. those at all, right? Rebel, rebel, five minutes, just five minutes. That means he, you're going to be there for another two hours. They were always at least two to three to four hours long. Four hours and they always regularly. got very contentious because I guess most contentious is a nice way of saying it. A violent, I mean, I don't violent know. I mean, is near. Well, we never, we never, we never got never violent, quite meetings, violent, but we um, got loud. 
there were always big egos in that room though. I mean, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know what it's like now, but I mean, when, when I was producing CYSK with you, it was you, me, Michael Sanchez, um, Marty, Danny, and, um, and Drew Michael. And yeah. so, I mean, I think like Drew Michael was usually the linchpin for the, uh, <clears throat> for the, yes, for the disagreements, you know, he wasn't, I'm sure he'd admit that. And then it was usually me and him button heads about something. Danny never really being firm on anything. Marty, um, not wanting any confrontation. He'll be first to admit that too. Uh, Sanchez wanting to be confrontational, but is very quiet. So everything fell on deaf ears. And then you being the most close to the voice of reason, I feel like. I feel oh, like well, you're the closest to the voice yeah, of reason. Yeah, well, I mean, it, w- it was crazy. Like people would get, so you'd have Danny who would, is actually, I think, a genius. I do too. In, in retrospect. I think I Danny Callis is a genius. Um, I'm not saying that to boost his self-esteem. I'm sure it wouldn't work. No, um, yeah. <laughs> but, no, because it wouldn't work. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> but I mean, I think like all geniuses, he has he has a lot of ideas and a lot of them are crazy. So he would suggest some you know, I mean, not even necessarily crazy, but just like just like every detail is so thought out about like you know, like, okay, I was, I'm trying to think, you know, just like the mathematical formula to how often everyone would be booked. And, and, um, so here we know, go. Okay. We used to have, I'll, I'll break down some weird math that Danny had. Yeah. And Cause I've forgotten. Fun. No, you were fun to hand out flyers with. So everyone, a little, little backstory for national listeners. Community Show is a show. It's an, the best independent show in the city or not in the city. Well, in the city, but in the country. We're running in three cities, LA, New York, Chicago. And it's, it was a group of comedians that uh, Lebo just referenced a few seconds ago. And it, we had a lot of fun, but we also butted heads on a lot of shit. And uh, the leader, the creator, the driving force of a lot of it was this guy, Danny Kalis, who I've referenced so many times, not just comedy related, but other fun stuff. Me and him have gotten together and watched a lot of Bears games this year. We'll watch them in my garage. I have the door open and we keep apart and it's, it's, it's a good time. The dude's the best. I love him. But, uh, he has this weird genius like brain in a sense where we would hand out flyers on Michigan Avenue in Chicago, world famous strip. And he would count them out meticulously where it's like Lebo, here's a stack of 500 or, and Joe, here's a stack of 500. Right. Here's a stack. Right. And he goes, if we hand out X amount of flyers, he like broke it down where it's like he thought 2% of the people you hand the flyers to would show up. I so remember get, it being like 1%. Maybe 1% because he was like, if we get four people though, four people and I'm, and, you know. Right. Yes. It's so, a miserable so thing so handing out flyers. To get four for every 400 flyers we handed out. And these are free tickets, mind you. You bring them in, you get in for free. Yes. I think the number for like, we also had two for one. That we we did did, for one. That was even lower. Like it was, it was great, but he, his math, the thing about his math is that it was right. Whatever, if it was, if it was 2% or 1% or half a percent, it was some insane thing where, do you remember when we had to fill the Lakeshore theater (laughs) and he figured out if we hand out like 25,000 flyers, something like that. It was like something crazy like that. I don't know if that was the number, but it was like some 
impossible number of flyers. And by the end, he's pulling the Chicago reader out of the newspaper box and sticking a flyer in each one. (laughs) It was just, it was, but his math was right. No, it was, dude. It was incredible how right it was. I do remember the Lakeshore Theater handing out flyers because we actually had printed tickets because we were allowed to just give straight up free tickets to that. And I remember walking up Broadway. There's, It's still over there. It's like a little hot dog hamburger joint. I can't remember the name of it because it's really not that good. But Danny and I went in there to take a break. And he went to the bathroom. And then he came out. And I noticed he was walking a little different. And I just... In a in my own way, was like you're right there, buddy. You know, like because I could tell mm-hmm. something was wrong, and he was like, "I just took a dump so bad that I threw away my underwear." I <laughs> 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 was, dude. I was like, cry laughing. I'm like, what? and he's like, dude, for real. If you go, if you go in the bathroom, you'll see my undies are in the trash. <laughs> and I I ran right to. The, I had to find out, and there they were. He, yeah. I guess he like had a wet fart that kind of went through. Underwear. Luckily, he didn't stain the jeans though, because because he asked me, he's like, "Am I all right? Can you see like a shit stain in the back of my pants?" And I'm like, "You're all right. I don't see anything." And it just made me laugh so hard because he wanted to keep handing out flyers. After any he normal just shit his pants. Yeah, any normal person's like, "All right, I just I just ruined my Calvin's. It's time." Not that he would have Calvin under Calvin underwear, but it's it's time to call it. Let's let's go home. That's so funny. And yet he kept passing them out, man. He was fucking dedicated. And it takes that kind of dedication to build a show that now, before COVID, everyone, would sell out with minimal effort. The effort that we put in, um, and I mean, obviously, like minimal effort, meaning like, like we had like a checklist of stuff. All right, every Sunday night, do this. Every Tuesday, send the email blast out. Like stuff yeah. that kind of, it ran like clockwork. As you know, you were yeah. a big part of why it became a, this well-oiled machine. Yeah, I ran the, the email list for a long time. I think, I know in, in New York, I sort of spearheaded the the New York room with um, uh, with Soreen Choksi and uh, David Drake and um, and Jeff Steinbrenner. And, and uh, um, well, one of the things that, that we really focused on early on, which I think I felt like it took us a little bit longer to figure out um, in Chicago, but eventually we did figure it out. It's like the email list is key. It, the email yeah. list is everything. Like it takes a little while to build it up, but like whatever you can do, once you get them to come through the door for whether it's handing out flyers or whether it's through press or, or ads or whatever, get their fucking emails, get them, take them from Eventbrite. If they're buying tickets on Eventbrite, get their emails and like hit them back. We used to, I mean, we could always in New York, we could always have the room full. And then we start, I started this in Chicago too, because I used to run the email list in Chicago, but yeah. you know, so someone else took it over who was like more into like doing work or whatever. But um, <laughs> like that was, you'd see how many pre-sales you had and then you would know how many free tickets to blast out to people. And then your room would just always be full. You know, not always, but, you know, pretty close. I mean, you could it's, always have the room full. It's really pretty foolproof, man. The email list is so fucking big, dude. I almost, I, I hate myself so many times for not taking like a bulletin board and a piece of paper, not bulletin board, um, a clipboard and a piece of paper and trying to get emails on the road from when you do different cities. I heard Kevin Hart on a podcast once upon a time talk about how after he had a pilot that didn't get picked up and something else got dropped. And he's thinking, what am I going to do in my career? 
he told his agents and managers at the time, send me to every comedy club in the country. I don't care if it's a B list, a B level club, C level club. I don't care about the fucking money. He was young. So he didn't have any like real like bills. Mm-hmm. So he didn't give a shit, but he was like, please, I want to work every five. I'll do 50 weekends. Mm-hmm. And he was just determined to get emails at every fucking one. And then he had an you know, Excel spreadsheet, did all this kind of shit. And then the next time he was in town, sent the emails out, was able to add a show the year later, they added two more shows and three years later, he's up to the theater at that town. And then he really did build it up that way. I mean, everyone knows Kevin Hart is this like guy who's like a Titan of the industry, but he really did put in a fuckload of legwork before everyone knew who the fuck he was. Yeah. And he he was smart too. It wasn't just, he worked hard, but he worked, he worked smart too. Worked hard and smart. Yeah. Danny and I opened for uh, Michael Costa one time at Joe's on weed in, in, um, was it on North Avenue? No, it's on on weed. Yeah. (laughs) We just, just South of North Avenue. I actually did a rooftop show there a couple months ago. Oh, cool. Yeah. So we opened for Mike Costa there one time. And this was before Costa was on the daily show. Um, he, he does our show or he did when we had it. Um, he New would York. do USK Chicago and he did the LA one. I became friends with him a little bit Super more nice out guy. in LA. Great guy. Yeah. Um, he's, he's on, on my other podcast. Now. But he, um, even before that, you know, he, Joe's on weed is, is a big room, 900, 1,000. And and he sold it out. And, and I asked him, you know, like not to be a dick, like, how'd you sell this out? But like he wasn't really famous at the time. He's famous now. Yeah, he's on the show. Yeah, you know, because sure. he's on the show. But at the time, I was like, well, how did you do this? And he was like, well, I used to just work Zanies and then I would just get everyone's email. And so Smart. then I, then at a certain point I had enough emails in Chicago where I didn't have to work the club anymore. And I could just, you know, you know, just, you know now it's a, it's his audience that he's performing for. He can do what he wants and B, he, he goes home with more money and C, he didn't have to do nine shows. You know I mean? It's just like, isn't that what we ultimately want to yeah. work towards? That's my totally. ultimate thing as a comedian. I don't really care about TV credits anymore or any of that kind of shit. I, I just, you wanted the TV credits because it was validation. It's something you could say to people, Hey, I was on this show or that show. And it's, that's really what it's about validation, but really you just want your own audience and that's why I've kind of shifted my focus towards YouTube and even TikTok. I post a lot of stamp clips on you TikTok. You still up on the TikTok? Last time I talked to you, you were talking it up. Yeah, I got like 23,000 followers on there, man. It's my Bro, best social media right. platform. Are I, you sure they're not all, are they all like, um, like teenagers? And there a lot of the lot, there's not a lot of teens, but I have, um, I have like a business one. So they give me my analytics. I could tell you in one second, but I, I do. It is funny to me because Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, my Facebook page, those all were like, whatever. I never really took off on any of those platforms, but YouTube, I got like 9,500, I think. I don't know. I haven't checked my numbers in a while. I got like over 9,000 subscribers on YouTube and, and TikTok. Those two platforms are strictly my standup. And then I do podcast clips on YouTube, of course, but I just post standup on TikTok and YouTube. And I do very well. I do way better on those than people who are crushing me on Twitter and Instagram and all the other ones. So it's almost kind of made me be like, oh, it's people like my stand up, but other shit that like, I wouldn't give a fuck. <laughs> no one cares about you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not like that, but it's, it is interesting. But that's what you want, isn't it? No, exactly. It made me feel so much better. Um, Cause I had one friend of ours, not like, they didn't know, but they were just being like kind of funny. They thought they were being funny. And it was like a dig, like, um, keep doing this and you'll get to 5,000 Twitter followers in no time thinking they were hot shit. 
And then they started in the last year or two, they started a YouTube channel and, and they got on TikTok. I'm crushing them on those. And I go, yeah, because when it comes to fucking talent, I win. But if it comes to like getting people who want to fuck you to retweet you, yeah, you're going to kill me on that level, aren't you? All right. Ah, uh, here we go. God, I like is really have to know who you're talking about. I'll tell you Text off there. Me. Yeah. <laughs> Analytics on my TikTok. This is going to be boring for everybody, but I'm very curious now. Um, followers, 68% are dudes. 68.1% male. Very nice. Female. Very nice, right? <laughs> Bunch of Lindsey Graham's getting excited to see old Joey. Uh, 76% in the United States. Wait, this is TikTok or YouTube? TikTok. YouTube okay. analytics I could get, but I it'd be too difficult right now. Um, UK, I got 9%. Ooh, South Africa, 2%. Australia, 1%. Okay. Um, ages. Oh, it doesn't say ages. I thought it told me ages. YouTube tells me ages. TikTok doesn't. So you're right. I could have a bunch of 15-year-olds. And YouTube is is skews male also, doesn't it? Uh, yes, but it's not. I think it's a little bit more 60-40 where this is basically 70-30 essentially. Um, I, I haven't checked my YouTube in a long time, but dude, man, I got a lot of people in like India and Australia and I so desperately wanted to go to both those places. I was actually looking into at the end of 2019, trying to figure out how to do shows in India because I was getting so much response on like comments from different people. And I talked to uh, a friend of mine, a comedian who knows Andrew Schulz, who I don't, I did a show with him once in LA. I don't know if you saw him around New York a bunch or whatever. Yeah. He did shows in India and is huge on you. He's got a million subscribers on YouTube. Obviously I'm, my channel is fucking nothing compared to his, but uh, comedy is huge in India. Mm -hmm. They fucking love it there. And, um, and the, they they're down with that. There's some jokes that I'll get comments on from people from India where I'm kind of like, I'm surprised that played. I'm surprised that like culturally I would have thought, but no, they, they're, they love dirty stuff. They love stuff. That's edgy. They're just fans of it. They, anything where it's one person trying to be funny and, and they're, yeah, it's a really cool. And I've, I've met a few, not met, but like, you know, talked to online where like, even they've followed me on Instagram, a few people. And I'm like, these people are so fucking cool. So and I really wanted to go to India. India too, right? I mean, yeah. They're, they've, they, they, I looked it up. They have English uh, comedy clubs, English speaking comedy clubs. And then I heard from an Indian American comedian, this comic Raj Sharmi. It, it sounds like I'm saying his name wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce it. I mean, you said it with a definite question mark in there too. I did. Yeah. That's why I, that didn't help me. Uh, Raj <clears throat> Sharma. Raj Sharmi. Everyone knows yeah. Raj Sharmi. He's so right. confident. <laughs> he, uh, he was telling me that there are Indian comedians in India, of course, who will just straight up steal American comedians jokes word for word. They'll uh -huh. do like the whole act. And it's, and he says it's, it's wrong. Like when he did some shows in India, he told him, Hey, you guys can't do this shit. Like you got to write your own stuff. But he did say it was really funny seeing dudes who grew up in like, who are native Indians doing Mitch Hedberg's act word for word and trying to do the same cadence, but they have an Indian accent. That's what's that's hilarious. That made me Wait. laugh so hard. I remember when um, I did. Uh, <clears throat> I did You're um, in Switzerland, right? Yeah, I did a, a twice. I did this uh, festival in Switzerland. You did it too, right? No, you didn't no, I was in the final. Like right, right, right. the yeah. year I submitted, they made people vote to see if you could get in. 
And, well, um, they did. I mean, they did that. I think before too, but they did it for you too. Cool. Yeah, but yeah, uh, I but, didn't get it. I was top eight, but didn't get it. Yo, and then that was the year that I was like, I had won the year before, so that was the year that I was like the godfather of the. So I like hosted the shows and stuff. It was I, really I fun. So but... badly wanted to go to Switzerland with you too, because I knew you were going to be back. I remember right. talking with you, and yeah. you're like, "Dude, if I could rig it, I would." And I'm like, "I know you would." I mean, they let me vote. I voted for you. Thanks. But then they also knew that like you were my homeboy, and like I think they also like they knew i don't know i made some questionable votes because there were a bunch of like musical comedians and i like voted against them all and voted instead in favor of some other videos that were submitted that were like obviously of lower quality but i was just like yeah but i can't vote for a fucking you know what i mean yeah and then all of the music the musical comedians ended up being there and i was like oh okay well we're not exactly on the same page about this obviously and uh i think i've sort of rethought that too it's like I've really in the past decade, I guess, or half decade, gotten over my um <clears throat> my sort of like stand up purity bullshit. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh well yeah, sure you have a fucking podcast, you have fucking funny videos online, but like are you funny? Like can you get up on stage and do an hour? No, you can't. And it's just like, no, but so what? Like they're doing this other thing. You know what I mean? I've like, gone over that too. Would I get up there and do funny songs? No. So why do I have to hate someone who's like obviously trying to do something that's different from me? Like why even view that as a competition? We are literally playing different sports. You know what I mean? So it's just like I sort of let go of a lot of that bullshit. But dude, I was the worst with that for a long time. Um, as you know, I was a fucking psycho with a lot of shit like this. And I'm glad you'd use the sports reference because Marty DeRosa listeners you know he's been on the podcast a bunch of times he told me once when i was getting mad about something and he basically said like listen dude to be upset that so-and-so is doing something is ridiculous because they're not taking fans away from you it's like a basketball player being jealous of a hockey player totally. yeah, we're all, yeah we're all athletes but we're playing different games and i'm like dude you're so fucking right and then i got to the point where now when i see other people do it i get like I almost want to reach out to them saying you're wasting so much mental energy and it's only causing you anguish like this Sarah Cooper. Do you know who she is? Mm, remind me. Keep talking. She's blown up the last few months because she started posting, I think, TikTok videos of her lip syncing to shit that Trump has said. Oh, yeah. She's fucking hilarious. Hilarious. Right. I remember catching them on TikTok and yeah. then seeing yeah, I've seen so, a few of a, just a couple of them. But yeah, yes. As people share them on Twitter. And I remember laughing at them going, oh, yeah, they're really funny. She's got the cadence down and the other stuff she does to add to the video. Yeah, that's it's good 45 second content. And now they gave her like a Netflix special off of it. But it's not like a straight stand up special. That's like stuff going on. I haven't watched it yet. I think it just came out today. Anyway, there are comedians who I actually like a lot who are trashing it. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? Dude, we're all in this game together. And even so, even if you don't like what she's doing, She's not taking anything away from you. And all you're doing is just putting, I don't know. I just don't like seeing comedians openly shit on other comedians unless they've done something to strongly warrant it. Like the Carlos Mencia stealing jokes. Fine. He, he, earned, he earned being shit on. That's a, that's a federal offense in our, in our business. Totally. But Sarah Cooper is someone who has been working in improv and I think has done some stand up as well. And she's a writer. 
She's written on comedy stuff, comedy shows. So she's in the world of comedy for a long time now, 10, 15 years, I think. And yeah, she's something hit. She did something that went viral and it blew her up and she got millions of followers from it. And now she's turning that into, you know, a fucking bigger payday. Good for her. Why are we against that? Well, you know what happens if you begrudge another person their success the energy that you put out is one of rejecting success generally. So really by um, begrudging other people their success, you prevent your own. Lebo, Um, I'm very excited about this. Are you a law of attraction guy? That sounded pretty law of attraction, didn't it? It sounded 100% law of attraction. That Um, is law of attraction, essentially what you said. I don't, I don't know if I would say I'm a, I'm not talking about the secret, but I mean like here, here's the thing I've gotten into some, yeah, I'll I'll just answer the question. Yes. Okay, cool. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into all of the crystals or the explanation of how it works, but I certainly know that there is that visualizing what you want is the best way to get it. This makes so much sense. Sorry, I'm getting I'm getting excited. I don't know if I got louder just then mm-hmm. or got closer to the microphone. You used to do a thing. I'm sure you still do it. Before your set, I remember you walking around the block at O'Toole, at Timothy mm-hmm. Tools, where we did Community Chanel. I would, you know, be walking in and I'd see you go for a walk. And then I remember one time, I don't know if I brought it up to you, maybe I did. I was looking for parking and I saw you walking down the street and you were like mouthing words and hand gesturing to yourself. And in my head, I'm like, oh, he's probably, he's like visualizing what his set's going to be like. Was that oh, what you yeah. were doing? Yeah, that's what I do that like before always. I, I, um, I mean, <clears throat> so I, I always, first of all, I have a kind of a prayer that I say to myself before I go on stage, which is, do you want to hear what it is? <laughs> if, if you're only, if you're comfortable sharing. Yeah. It's uh, dear Lord in the name of your son. Son, Jesus Christ, please allow me to bring joy and laughter into the hearts of these good people. And that through our shared joy and laughter, we may all descend more deeply into the loving embrace of your infinite presence is the prayer that I say to myself. And I don't wasn't raised Christian. I'm not Christian, but Jesus was. I, cool. that's what so I was going to ask. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I'm a Jew, yeah. you know, but I was like, I'm, yeah. like uh, you know, I, um, I like it. Um, but I also do go over my set you know, before I go on stage, I do go over my set and oftentimes, yeah, it's like people try and talk to me before I go on stage. And it's just like, it's kind of, cause it's just like, no, I'm like, I'm trying to get my head in the right place to like do this. And part of that does include kind of like going through the whole thing. And also often I have a new bit that I'm trying to work out and I'm, that's me trying to figure out the words too. So I'll, it depends how much time I have. If I have 45 minutes, I'll walk around for 45 minutes and work out the new bits. And then when I realize I have 10 minutes left, I'll, I'll go, okay, what's the actual second of me? And I'll go into that and then I'll say my, my prayer I usually try and do in the room when I can feel the energy of the people. But yeah, that's my sort of like pre-show, uh, yeah, my kind of like spooky uh, new age pre-show spiritual ritual i guess yeah i don't think i've actually ever told anybody that i fucking love that man i have um i've probably sprinkled this throughout the podcast but never gone too deep on it i'm gonna say 20 
like sometime in like early 2017, I first thought like first came across reading about like law of attraction type stuff a little bit. Um, now just to clarify for listeners, that thing, the secret is kind of bullshit. Cause the whole idea of the secret, if th- there was a weird, I did watch the documentary or the video on Netflix. I came across it. I was first given the DVD of the secret when I was 21 years old, when I was 21, I was working as a waiter at a Longhorn Steakhouse in Norwich, Illinois, which is a suburb that's actually within the city. The city goes around it. It's kind of a weird deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, They're right by the hip. It's basically the northwest side, right? It is, yeah, Harlem Irving Mall. It's near Skokie, isn't it? Um, or no, no that's Niles. It's it's near it's near like Chicago Ridge and stuff like that, right? Chicago Ridge is south side. No, what Um, am I thinking of? Chicago. Where's Hillary Clinton from? She's from Park Ridge. It's near Park Ridge. Park, right? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty close to Park Ridge, like 10 minutes or so. Um, so anyway, I uh this w- woman who came to eat lunch there every day. I was I worked the lunch shift a lot of the time because I um just didn't care about making money. <laughs> I just need I made enough. I was still living at home, I was 21. And uh I this one woman I would talk to, I told her I was ta- I just started I dropped out of college because she asked me like how classes were going. I'm like, well, I'm actually taking classes at second city at night. Now I am not doing, you know, the college thing anymore. I think I want to go into like comedy. I was just taking improv and sketch writing. And she's like, Oh, that's great. I've got something for you. I'll be, you know, I'm, she was at lunch like every day there. The next day she gave me the DVD, the secret. She's like, you got to watch this. This has worked for so many famous people. It'll help you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I looked at the thing and I'm like, this seems like garbage. Like I never opened it. It was in plastic forever. Never touched it. And then, um, anyway, this is a long story, everybody, but in 20, maybe like late 2016, early 2017, my son was born in February. I want to say it was like a month before he was born. I was still living in LA. My oldest son was born in LA. I was flipping around Netflix and I saw the secret. It was like suggested. And I'm like, that's the fucking thing that woman gave me like 15 years ago or some shit. No shit. So I clicked on it and I'm like, whatever, I'm going to watch this. What got me right away was the first five to 10 minutes of it was about focusing on what you can control. Now, the rest of the secret goes on to a crazy direction, which is why people make fun of it, because it'll, it shows like a kid going, I want that bike. I really want a new bike. And then a new bike appears. It's like, that's not how anything ever works. This isn't magic. You don't live on Asgard. We're not living in some weird Marvel universe. Come on, man. Um, but what was interesting about the whole first part about focusing on what you can control, the next couple weeks... I ran into people who use that exact phrasing where I'm like, Oh, they've, they subscribe to this. Mm-hmm. I'll tell, I'll tell the names. Um, this dude, Chris Williams, I was working as a, like a, a extra. I was an extra, like every episode of a show on CBS called the great indoors, uh, with Joel McHale. He was the star of it. It only ran one season, but it was like the last year I was in LA. I was, I was the bar back in like every bar scene. And, um, the, the main bartender who had lines, he's one of the main characters, Chris Williams, who's Vanessa Williams' brother. He's been in a bunch of shit. I was telling him about a thing I had coming up. I can't remember what it was. And he was like, you got to focus on what you can control. You got to, you know, get your mind right. And he was telling me, he's like, you ever drive in traffic and there's traffic and you're like, I got to get there. I got to get there. It doesn't get you there any faster. Relax. Focus on what you can control. Block out all the other shit. I'm like, oh, okay. He said that to me weeks before I watched The Secret. Hannibal Hannibal was visiting um LA and he I saw him and I'm like tell he was asking me this is another weird side note I always felt like I did do better in LA because all the people who could <laughs> help me in LA 
whenever they asked how I was doing, I said I was doing great, even though I wasn't. I just don't like being a bother to people. So when someone says, hey, how you doing? I go, I'm good. I get that. I'm the same way. I want to do it myself anyway. Yeah. You know, so Hannibal then was like, how are things going? And I'm like, good. And then I'm like, well, you know what? I've actually been annoyed lately because, you know, I don't have any representation out here. And every time I do a major show, no one's in the crowd. Like I'll do UCB and everyone's like, oh, dude, managers from CAA were here last week. Last but nobody's week. Here this yeah. week. Yeah. It's, I always had that. And the Hannibal's like, don't focus on that shit. Focus on what you can control. You can control putting out five good tweets a day. You can control filming your sets and putting those out. You can control. And then I'm just like, yeah, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't, I can't control who's in the crowd. Good point. And then, um, and I can, Roy Jr. said something along the same line. So I remember going like, holy shit, all these people have said this to me over the last few months. And now I'm watching this thing that is preaching that in the early going. So then I started to kind of like get into it a little bit, not too deeply in 2017, but by 2018, I came across a video where it was a bunch of successful actors and Denzel Washington said, if you wake up in the morning and think today's going to be a shitty day, well then guess what? It's probably going to be a shitty day. And that, that blew my mind Mm -hmm. because so many times in my life have I gone into things with that kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. Like you go to a party and you think this party is going to suck before you open the door to go into that party. Yeah, you're putting it out there. You're putting out the vibe that this party's going to suck. I'm not going to have any fun. Why am I even going to this party? And then you go there and yeah, it's awful because you almost created that awfulness. You probably without realizing it, put a vibe that says, I don't want to be here. So therefore people are like, fuck that guy, you know? And I think it's the same thing that you talked about. I went the long way around here. Yeah. Where if you're someone out there who's hating on other people's success, you are in a way putting up blockers to your own success you're saying no to the notion of success yeah you're saying fuck that success no and uh and that's the that's a that's a guaranteed oh well as close to a guaranteed way to 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 block success as you can i mean that the the secret is one thing there's also these books um by esther and jerry hicks um which is uh i think actually basically what the secret was based on yeah, um, loosely based. Or uh, half, half. And I think that that Esther and Jerry were in the original version of The Secret, and then there was some problem with the contract; they were edited out of it, and they yeah. just had other people. And there, but there's a, there's a whole community of people that, you know, this is of a piece with a, with a lot of stuff. I mean, I was actually just listening to um, I don't know if you ever listened to the Sam Harris podcast, but I was just listening to it. His mother created the Golden Girls. Uh, Sam Harris. Yeah. I didn't know that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, look it up. His mother was a big TV exec who uh, like created and co-created a lot of shows. Oh, okay. So no, no wonder he's such a smug, entitled bastard. But anyway, yeah, um, there you go. <laughs> I do like his podcast. Actually, it's, it's very no, I've heard good things about it. It kind of bums me out sometimes. But yeah, this uh, uh, neurosurgeon on named James Dottie, who came from like sort of a broken home, and he came, you know, it was just he somehow ended up getting his life together and becoming a really successful neurosurgeon. And he now runs a, a nonprofit uh, or some kind of organization devoted to studying compassion um, for which the Dalai Lama is a, is like a benefactor. So anyway, um, his story about this guy, James Dottie, his story about how he was able to um, <clears throat> sort of transcend his environment. You know, his dad was an alcoholic, his mom was mentally ill, and you know, whatever, all this stuff. Um, 
was that he met um, this lady who worked at a magic shop in, in the neighborhood and she gave him some of these sort of meditation techniques. And, um, and one of the techniques that she gave him was to visualize what he wanted as though with the feeling of the, as though he already had it, which is essentially that is the method the like the law of attraction uses. Yes. You, you visualize what you want and you picture already having it. And it's, of course, it's easy to make fun of it and to make fun of vision boards and all that kind of stuff. But that's what a vision board is. You know, that it's, it's a technique it for is, that. Yes. And um, his explanation of it, you know, of course, the, a lot of the sort of new age spiritual people, whether it's, you know, Jane Roberts or whether it's, you know, Esther Hicks or whoever it is, The Secret, whatever. I mean, there's lots of, goes back a long way, I think, um, Helena Blavatsky was the first person to use the term law of attraction. She was the founder of, um, how, what's it called? Neo sophistry or sophistry or something. There's just a sort of new religion. I don't know that would, deep. Yeah. And, you know, but a lot of these people really revere Helena Blavatsky, who is this Russian emigre. And then she started this, the Theosophical Society. She started in New York in the 1800s. Anyway, it goes back. I love about talking to you though, because we can talk about <laughs> diarrhea and then, I'll throw this out there and you'll be like, oh, well, here's a fuckload of knowledge about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but hang on, great. let me make one point. Let me get to one For point. Sure. So this guy, this neuroscientist, James Dottie, his explanation for why this works is that, okay, so you're visualizing this and this creates something that's called, I think, like the pop-out effect, where if you have a goal and you focus on it intently and then you see something in your environment that could help you achieve that goal because you've primed your mind in that way, it's much more likely to pop out and then you recognize it and then you go for it. Okay. Whereas, so, so the, the sort of, you know, crystal people or whatever would have this more kind of magical explanation where you put this energy out into the universe and then the universe returns, you attract it from, through the law of attraction from the universe into your experience. And this guy who's a neuroscientist is very clear to say like, <clears throat> I don't believe in any of that bullshit. This is how it works. But to me, it's sort of like a distinction without a difference. Yeah. I mean, like who, who cares if it's the same process and it works? Like who cares if the mechanisms are coming from within your own mind or from without your own? I mean, and who's to say even? I mean, what's, why even art argue about it? You know, that's just, that's just how I look at it. Like either it works or it doesn't work. And then, yeah, I agree. I don't care. What, you know, if it I don't care, good, I don't care why it makes it. You know what I, mean? I don't give a shit. It doesn't what have to be magic. And that bike shit, I know it looks cheesy in the movie, but I've had these feelings. This actually happened to me a month ago or no, no, it was about, it was during the pandemic. I had this image in my mind of this black specialized Cirrus 2.0 bicycle. And I was just like, I just realized like that bicycle is coming to me. Now I went into a store and I bought that bicycle. So, <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It didn't well, just appear. Yeah. But it was the like, movie, yeah. The movie the, messed so up by having to just fall. Yeah. But it's like, I focused on this thing and then I was like, okay, well, I need $600. You know what I mean? And it's yeah. just like, I found, you know, a way to get $600 and I got the bicycle. You know, it's like, so the mechanics of it are sort of, yeah, it's cheesy as fuck in the movie. But the point of it is like, I, I thought about that bicycle like every day and then I got it, 
you know, I mean, that's just kind of like how it works. No, I, I agree there. They just portrayed it cheesy. So I use it as an example. Uh, and you know, it's true, dude, that some stuff like that. So my wife and I just got a Costco membership. We had one way back in the day, but we got another one and we were there, I don't know, like a week ago and there was, they already had Christmas stuff out, but they had this really cool, like Christmas thing. It was this big tree, like ceramic and had a train that goes in it and like around. So you could see with all like famous Disney characters mm-hmm. along the way. And my sons are really into Disney stuff right now as three and one year olds typically are. And he, he loves trains. That's, that's going to last for a minute. I promise. I will. Yeah. yeah. And by the way, I'm okay with it. Cause I love toy story and cars oh, yeah. and all the stuff they're into. It, it rules. Yeah, it does. It so rules. Yeah. And, um, anyway though, so we looked at the price and it's like $80 and we're like, that's insane. We can't spend $80. We don't have that kind of money to just buy a Christmas ornament. But then um, my, my wife took a picture of it and she said, she showed my son and he was like, Oh my God, that looks so cool. And I go, you know what? There's some stuff I want to sell. I'll sell it on Facebook marketplace. I'll get the $80 and I'm going to go out and buy it. What do you think of that? And she's like, that'd be great. And I, and I'm going to get it because I'm going to sell that stuff because I'm going to focus on it. And that's so much of what the law of attraction is. What I try to tell people, vision boards, visualization, there's been like studies where they took three different groups for free throws where one group didn't shoot any free throws. They just visualized mm-hmm. where the other group shot a hundred more free throws a day. And the third group did nothing and they didn't visualize. And the one that did the vis- visualization did the best. And there's also, but, that, but also you got to yeah, put the work in because you're printers, you, you visualize like, crossing the finish line first, you know, you go inside like before you, you know, do the race or whatever. And the vision board thing, there's so many people I know who do vision. Who I, I never processed it at the time. Lisa Traeger's been in this podcast. She does vision boards. Uh, this comedian Ron Funches was on some show where he talked about how he has a vision board party with a bunch of his friends. See? Yeah, man. And Dude, here's the famous thing. People who do them and they work. So I don't know why people act like it's bullshit. Cause no, it's clearly it's, not. It's total. It's so fucked up because it's like, and we're supposed to be embarrassed about this. We like, shouldn't do you know, be. Like when I told you about my, my little, my prayer that I say before I go on stage, I was like, there was part of me that was like, I shouldn't say this, but it's like, why? It fucking I, works for me. Then dude, I go on stage and I fucking murder. Do you you know do, I mean? so dude. Like, I was gonna cut you off. What is the problem? You got you got to say it, which you shouldn't be embarrassed about because you're you're speaking truth. No, I, and I'm I not. I was gonna say it for you. I, everyone listening, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a beat. Mike Leibovitz, Lebo, as we affectionately call him, during my time in Chicago and any time I've performed with this gentleman, nobody has consistently killed as much as you have. And I'm not saying that cause you're my Whoa. guest. I, I'm, I'm, I mean that. And there's other people who are right. Like, obviously we, there's, we rolled together for a good five years or so in Chicago comedy at the same time. And you consistently killed more than anyone else in our scene. And that, and it's a scene with some big names. Now. I mean that I really do mean, I mean, consistently as far as like, your sets would range from an eight to 10 where like, I feel like I would have nines and tens and eights, but then I would throw up a three. I'd throw up a two. I don't remember you throwing up threes and twos. I mean, I'd rarely, 
I'd rarely throw up a three or two, but right, you know, right. No, I, mean, I would at least I, make I mean, it entertaining too. Cause I'd freak out and tell everyone they're fucking assholes. Um, but <laughs> you know, I have a yeah, meltdown. I mean, I mean, your, your meltdowns were the most fun of yeah. anyone's meltdowns ever. That's how you turn a three into a good seven by putting fear into the audience, you know? Well, I mean, it was still a show anyway, you know what there I mean? There you go. Still a but, show. uh, I, Joe, I mean, I just want to say, I, um, you're one of the funniest people that I know. So, I mean, that means the world uh, to me coming from you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, that's, man. I take that as, you know, the highest and most meaningful compliment possible. So yeah. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. I really, I, I'm not blowing smoke. I run hundred percent mean it. So we should not be embarrassed to admit these things. That, that was the point. I wasn't yeah. trying to brag about like how fuck good I am at stand. It's more just like, no, yeah. Someone, if Ron Funches is, is doing vision, like, it's almost like, I mean, I remember this from being a kid in school. It's the most, it's like you make fun of people for doing anything that like might long-term improve their life. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you want to have fun without drugs and alcohol? What are you, a fucking nerd? Yeah. It's the same thing. It's like, no, I just like, I, w- I want to go to law school. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, give them a break. I don't know. It's uh, you, you remember David Drake's joke about, nobody cares less about you than a good friend oh yeah yeah (laughs) i I mean i'll I'll butcher it if i try and do it but it's just like you know you try and tell a good friend like you quit drinking they're just like but drink though i gotta get him on the podcast everyone look it up david drake is on he's got like three albums on spotify he's very funny yeah he's got two albums oh can i drop can i is this a uh is this a safe space for announcements of course I recorded an album in Timothy O'Toole's in October of 2014, and it is finally uh, has a release date. That's it's awesome. called Two Slob Household. Will be released on Stand Up Records as both a um, an audio album and a, uh, a video special. Awesome. Um, that is available. The video will be on on Vimeo for rent or purchase. And Great. the uh, the audio is going to be I don't know where uh, iTunes, Spotify, Panda, you know wherever. But the release date is going to be January fifteenth, twenty twenty one. So if the world is still around on January fifteenth, Two Slob Household will finally, after six years, drop. And I'm very excited about it, and I'm very happy with it. And I have the artwork for it. it's fucking awesome. It's by this dude Tom Bunk, who used to be a Mad Magazine artist. Oh, that's super cool. And he did Garbage Pail Kids. Do you remember Garbage Pail yeah, Kids? Yeah, I used to have the cards. I'll I'll, uh, I'll text you a picture of the, the art. It's fucking awesome. Oh, that's so, so I'm super excited cool. about that. And this is this is this is the first in your podcast. I haven't announced it anywhere on social media or anything. So well, I'm so very that's, uh, fresh. Yeah, yeah. I'll drop that. It's fresh. You yeah. know, it's funny. Behind me is Nirvana's bleach. And I love this quote. You were you quoted someone oh, interviewed man. you. Remember that someone interviewed you about recording your album that is coming out in Feb- February 2021 or January? January, January 15th, anyway. 2021. There we go. I always got to say it more than once. Where they were asking you about the preparation for the album and going into the recording. And you said a great thing where you're like, I feel like everybody tries to make their first album like Nirvana's Nevermind. But that wasn't even Nirvana's first album. It was Bleach. So if my first ever yeah. album turns out to be like Bleach, that's pretty great too. You know, and yeah. I, that was stuck with me. Thanks man. Yeah. 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 That was, um, James, uh, for the comics comic, James, uh, James um, camp, right? Yeah, James, James Allen camp. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. He's a good dude. Never, you know, produces... never mind, but 
Yeah, Nirvana's first album wasn't even Nevermind. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I named my first album Pay Attention because it's the opposite of Nevermind. Fuck yeah, dude. It's my own little tribute to Nirvana, which is a lot of people know is my favorite band. So, uh, I, I uh, Yeah, man. You always listen to good music. I think I'm pretty good. I got to uh, broaden my horizons a little bit. As far as stuff that's come out over the last couple of years, I'm not that fresh on it. I was pretty good at keeping up with stuff up until like 2018, 2019. But once kids roll around, I'm like, I don't have time to dig for new music. Um, but yeah, you always, you, you turned me on. You got me into the hold steady. I wasn't that into them That's until. That's a good band. Yeah. Yeah. We, we drove somewhere and you had the, like six or seven of their songs on. And I remember digging into them pretty good. Um, I got into a local, the last like new, new band I got into was this band called the Orwells. And they're from like a suburb of Chicago, I think. Okay. And they were on Letterman. They were on like they were one of the last bands Letterman booked. So um, I remember their second or third album came out in like 2018, 2017. And I remember buying it, going, "Oh, this is great." And then a few months later, they announced, "Oh, we got a show at the Metro to kick off this tour." And I'm like, "Oh, I got to go." And it sold out. And I was like, "Damn!" And then two days later, they from their Twitter account they said the Orwells have disbanded, and all the comments were like. That's what you get for being scumbag pieces of shits. And I'm like, whoa, what the fuck happened? And there was this big, long thread where people, I guess two members of the band were banging underage girls, like after shows. Ooh, that's no bueno. 16 and 17 year olds. Yeah, it's horrible. But then the other, there was like other people going, hey, the drummer and the bassist are cool. Back the fuck off. And it was like this, it was kind of an interesting thread to read. Like, damn it, I like them. They're like one of the few bands that are like right now that I was, that was in my regular rotation. Cause I like a lot of bands that aren't making new music anymore. Cause they broke up a decade ago. Or- yeah, man. Yeah. We got to find you a different band, man. That's, that's no good to be banging the underage girls. No. Yeah. I stopped them, which sucks. Cause they had some songs, but I, I stopped. I wasn't, now, here's the thing. If, if a Michael Jackson album comes on, uh, um, you know, I, I'll leave it on. Be, but if you're an, an indie oh, totally. band, no. I'm, and, and like, you know, it's it's a, it's a tough thing. I mean, this sort of like reckoning that that uh, we as a society are going through, and it's like obviously, like you know, the term "casting couch" has been around for a long time. Obviously, this has been going on forever. But the fact that we're actually like, as a society, stepping up and agreeing that like this is unacceptable. It doesn't matter who you are; you can't be a rapist. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just like it doesn't doesn't. And it used to be sort of understood that like, Hey, if you were a big Hollywood producer, you can be a rapist. It's okay. And it's just, it was never okay. And so now that is, you know, I guess to me as a fucking privileged white man, like that's what the me too movement is about. It's just like society saying like this stuff that was never cool. That was just sort of like swept under the rug is no longer to be swept under the rug. And it's wasn't cool then. And it's not cool now. But that, I mean, that being said, like, Bill Cosby was still a great standup. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it's like, if I don't ever have that problem of like, no, you know, his standup never comes on anymore, you know? So I don't, I never yeah. like walk into a room and Bill Cosby's standup is on, but <clears throat> it does. joke saying the song, Billy Jean, that song didn't touch any children, you know? Yeah. Um, Although that's... dude, I mean, I was thinking about this, you know, the album bad. Yeah. He was trying to tell us some shit on the album dude like he's got the album is called bad he's got that one song on there i'm bad yeah he's got that song in there i'm looking at the man in the mirror i'm asking him to change his ways 
right? He's got a, I'm a smooth criminal, right? I mean, how many fucking, you know, uh, Quincy Jones was just like, I can't stop touching little boys has to go, Michael. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there was (laughs) one that was just too far. But like, it's just like, if you read, I, I mean, I don't know, that's just off the top of my head. If you read the track titles and the albums, it's like it reads like I don't know. There's so much. Shit I like know that. Like, that album was the first album to have five number one hits because it had "Smooth Criminal," uh, "Man in the Mirror," "Bad," "Dirty Diana," and I don't know what the fifth one was, but I'm pretty sure it had five number one hits. Maybe it was um, oh, uh, I don't know. I can't remember off the top of my head, but um, the way you make me feel, maybe, and the way you make me feel. Who knows yeah. who he's singing to? You know, I mean, maybe, but I mean, it's like he sounds like he's got he's bad and he knows it and he wants to change, but he can't. You ever hear those that he originally wanted bad, the song bad, to be a duet with Prince? Oh, okay. And and Prince thought about it until he read the lyrics because he thought, like, they go, Michael Jackson wants to do a duet with you. And he's like, oh, you know, maybe because they were like the two big icons at the time, essentially. And he was like, all right, all right, what, what song is he thinking about? And um, he got the lyrics to Bad, and the opening lyric was, your butt is mine. That's the oh. opening lyric to Bad, your butt is mine, you know? And Prince was like, I'm not singing that, and I don't want that song <laughs> to me. Oh, man. People don't know this about Prince, though. Prince was pretty homophobic, actually, because um, he's a Jehovah's Witness. And he's actually had, there's been quotes of him saying homophobic type stuff up in as late as 2006, 2007, saying some homophobic stuff. Because I remember um, I I dug into it only because someone was saying like, you know, thank God these people aren't cancel worthy. And I'm like, I Googled every one of them because I'm like, you never know. You never know Mm -hmm. these days. And, and I, and I kind of had this belief, not this belief, but like, some some people who are operating on this insane genius, like insane, insane. We're not talking about Danny Cal's type, but like really crazy. They almost have to have something a little bit wrong with them. And I'm not saying being homophobic or molesting children, the accusations Michael Jackson gets, but there's always a little bit of like something, right? Isn't there? Like- I, I agree with that. And I, I mean, I think that that's like, that's part of the reckoning, right? That's like, we're going to have to figure it out as a people because <clears throat> on the one hand, you, you obviously you can't be a rapist, you can't be a child molester. It's just like yeah. across the board, doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, um, but I do think it's a problem, and I think this is maybe also like just a facet of our kind of celebrity obsessed culture. But like, it is a problem. Um, okay, well, if you have a society where you insist that all of your artists be role models you're going to have some really boring art because the people who are great artists correlate very closely with people who are fucked up in some way. And they need, the art is like, you know, trying to express something, you know, it's like, it's part and parcel of the same thing. It's the dark side of that light, you know, in, in some cases, you know, I'm sure there are exceptions, but, but I mean, you know, I mean, Van Gogh was a fucking maniac. Picasso was a maniac. You know what I mean? Like these people, Lou Reed was a fucking maniac. How many you know odd- what I mean? And it's like, if he hadn't been a maniac, then he also wouldn't have been Lou Reed. You know what I mean? So I mean, like 
talking about John Lennon recently with some people because John Lennon's it would have been his 80th birthday recently. And my I'm a big Beatle fan, like most people are, and my three year old son loves the Beatles. Oh, I got a I got a story to share with you about the Beatles, but keep going. Oh, cool for sure. By yeah. the way, I I want I told Mike before the podcast we'd aim for about an hour and fifteen, but I just love talking to this guy so much that we're well, I, I keep forgetting we're on a podcast. I just like miss you so much. It's I like, know really I miss you to too, out. man. I hope um, this is enjoyable for other people. I, I, I hope so too, even be. if it's not, it's for us at this point. It is that's the one thing about comedy that I, I learned early on that maybe maybe depressed me was that the more um, successful everyone gets, the less they see of each other. And because everyone kind of moves on and they go different ways, they start working on different stuff. And then before you know it, you have, you just don't see each other as much, you know? Well, right. I mean, if you're still hanging out around the same open mics where you started, then you're like that dude in Better Off Dead, you know, who's still at the high school after seven years or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, yeah. It's like your class and then you graduate and you go off. And you Dazed and confused. Days. You said better off oh. dead, but I think it's dazed and confused. Better off dead. Well, no, no. Underrated. I mean, there's that one character in Better Off Dead who tells the John Cusack character. He said, "I mean, there's a fan." He says, "I have been at this high school for eight years. I am no dummy." Oh yeah, no, you're He's right. Like, you're right. I, I forgot forget. about that. I forget exactly. I haven't, I haven't seen that movie in forever, and I really want to. Um, the dude who you're thinking of from Days and Confused is Matthew McConaughey, right? Yeah, and he's been on everything. That's what I like about being high out. school girls, right? I get older, I get older. they stay the same age. <laughs> Creepy as hell, but a, a still a very well-delivered line. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> you, to, yeah, you do have to make that... Uh, <laughs> you have to, make <laughs> you have to the put that out there, right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, we do not condone the Matthew McConaughey character's behavior in the movie Dazed and Confused. Okay, go ahead. No, we don't. Uh, what was I saying? I totally forgot what I was saying now. because I Beatles, you're a big Beatles fan. Oh, the Beatles. So John Lennon, that's the thing that... Sometimes I do think we've lost a little bit of empathy as a society, and I kind of do blame the social media hot takes world we're looking at living in. Because, are, when, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, so John Lennon's. Um, so my, anyway, my son's so into the Beatles that my my wife said, "Like, how old was John Lennon when he died again?" And my three year old goes, "John Lennon died," and I looked at her, go, "Shut the fuck up!" You know, like yeah. she doesn't even know. He, I think the Beatles are still together and touring, as far as his mind's concerned. Because I just show him he's he's watched the movie Help and the movie Hard Day's Night about a hundred times, and then I I show him like Beatles videos on YouTube or whatever. Anyway, though, with John Lennon, people have been shitting on him because they're like he's you know, beat his first wife, he neglected his son, which is true. But the thing with the beating his first wife, Cynthia, was. Do you know how society found out that he hit his first wife? I used to be cruel to my woman. I beat her and kept her apart from the things that she loved. But he told, he confessed Man, that. In mean, a, it's in his song, right? Yeah, but even before that song, in an interview, he talked about how he looked at his younger self and realized he was like, he said, I was a hitter. I didn't know how to convey my emotions. I, I hit Cynthia once or twice. Like he didn't like beat her all the time. And she even said like in her oh, book Ringo that she was wrote. was a wife beater too. I mean, they, they all hit their wives. Yeah. And I think the reason I'm, I'm bringing this up at all is because that like Lennon was a, obviously an incredible musician and songwriter. Um, well, musician, I don't know how great he was at guitar. He played rhythm. How hard is that? No, I'm kidding. But no, he was a well, great musician. But- he was he was good at the guitar. Yeah. He was very good. I know. I'm being. Yeah. I'm just trying to be a dick. Uh, he obviously remarkable, like genius level songwriter and uh, everything. Fantastic. This was a dude though at that time of his life, 23, 24 years old, was the most famous person at that point in the history of human humanity. 
the Beatles in the early sixties yeah, were probably I mean, the most fa- you know what I mean? And I I'm think, not saying I, this isn't was he more famous than Paul? I mean, they're equally. Well, famous, I don't know. They're equal. Like, they're equal, yeah. of course. John and Paul, right? John maybe slightly at the time because he was kind of more vocal in interviews because he was a little older than Paul. But either way, but that's Paul more, was the cute one. Paul was the cute one. George was the quiet one. Ringo was Ringo, and John was like the witty one. Um, right. But yeah, anyway, you were arguing with semantics. Now, I'm just saying that this dude was so fucking famous. That like, how weird was his world? I'm not excusing or condoning neglecting your son or hitting your first wife, but in the same regard, the guy later brought it to the world's attention, tried to atone for it by being a better father. And he tried to rekindle, rekindle with his first son, Julian, and was a better father to Sean. I'm just saying like, it seems weird that if you're a murderer or rapist, yeah, you don't get a second chance, but I feel like John Lennon being canceled in 2020 it's not like, Oh he, yeah. He, no, he, I mean that that's yes. stupid. If this is the know. point that you're making that like the Beatles would be canceled. Yeah. In, in 2020, probably George was banging Ringo's wife in the seventies. It caused their divorce. They were all doing horrible shit to each other. Like, well, and then Eric Clapton stole George's wife. Yeah. And then they remained really good friends though. Eric Clapton and George. Well, George went off to, uh, George got really into cocaine. And yeah, then, but then yeah. then he'd like go off to the Himalayas and meditate for six months, and then he'd come back and do a bunch of cocaine. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and in like fucking Paul was on. So this is my. I never really got that into the the Beatles, and then um, you know I was sort of obviously I'm aware of the Beatles, right? And then a few months ago, I took uh, mushrooms with a friend of mine, and we were biking along the waterfront in New Jersey just across the river from like the bright lights of Manhattan. And um, he played on his phone, just like the first few songs of uh, Sergeant Pepper. And it just like went so deeply into me. I was like dancing in this way where like the music was dancing me. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't like choosing to dance, but it was just like moving me in this way. And then I was just like sort of just the music got into me so deeply that I then after that for about three months I could not do anything but listen to the Beatles all the time like whenever I was in the car I just like couldn't listen to any other music I couldn't listen to podcasts I couldn't it was just like so I just recently just had this very intensive uh, Beatles education and uh, it's uh, man that's some good music and you know what people talk shit but Ringo could play the drums no, People Ringo was a like very good was drummer, a shit yeah. drummer. No, Ringo fucking rules. No, like he yeah. was. You know, he's Phil Collins' favorite drummer. I've heard that actually. I have heard that, and you know, he got his drums. Ludwig, uh, Ludwig, which is the company that makes the drums, it was on Chicago. Is in Chicago. He well, would, all right. Yeah, literally, so his drums were made in Chicago. And um, a good friend <laughs> of my dad's saw Ringo walking down the street outside of that factory because the factory no was kind of like off of North Avenue. And what like West Side, like North Avenue in uh, I want to say like Narragansett or something like that. There was like a factory over there, which is actually where um, Radio Flyer has a factory still over there. And the Mars factory is like Oak Park and something. No, the Radio Flyer factory is not there anymore. The Radio no? Flyer factory was on like Fullerton or like Grand. And oh, like no, Cumberland. not North Avenue, Grand. But, you know, Grand goes on an angle eventually. Um, yeah, and it meets up. It, it's up there. It's like by by Fullerton. 
Okay, but, maybe it was Fullerton, not North. I'm sorry. Or maybe I mean maybe it's between North and Fullerton. I don't know. I mean because it, it does go at an angle. By the time, mm-hmm. but that Radio Flyer factory has not been a factory for a long time. It's now the corporate headquarters. Uh, and it okay. used to be the factory, and now they make them in China. Well, and this yeah. happened. I remember when this happened. It happened like in the late '90s. All right. That they well, you know moved. what though? Maybe my dad was telling the story, and that when Ringo was over there, the Radio Flyer was there. And Radio Flyer is still okay. there, it's, but it's but not. It's not they don't make them there. Yeah, it's like a corporate office now. And there's a big giant statue of a Radio Flyer, like right out front of it. And yeah, oh, the Mars cool. factory is right over there too. Yeah, I know. I think yeah. it's on Oak Park though, but not too far from there either. It's all whatever though. But well, anyway, right? Like the Metro tracks come by there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. All right, cool, man. Um, but yeah, dude, the music's so great. It's really the best stuff. I mean, I grew up knowing the Poppy Beatles stuff, and then as I gotten older and i've really gotten into the beatles again through my son loving them so much but like there's so many fucking good songs it's endless it's so endless and there's songs where you're like this is on that album too holy shit i mean there's something like i mean i know we got to wrap it up soon but that the last song on their last album right if abbey road is their last album i know the other one came out afterwards but that was their last studio album the last song is um the end yeah. I mean, they have one at the end, Her Majesty. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't know what to say. right? But the, before yeah. that, there's a song, The End. The and end, then that yeah. was like the secret track at the end. And it starts out with a drum solo by Ringo. And then it's um, John, Paul, and George trading guitar solos back and forth. It's just the, just the three of them looped over and over. Yeah. And then it goes into this you know, thing about the love, you, the love that you in the end, the love you make is equal to the love you take. Yes. And then that's it. It's just out. They've all just soloed. It's like such a perfect, like, good night, folks. I mean, it's that's... fucking bad. Re-listen to that song. Anyone who thinks that Ringo cannot play the drums, by the way, listen to The End. It's fucking badass. Definitely. I think there's a little law of attraction right there, too. The more you give, the more you get. That's it. Yeah, to- of course. And people want to be like, it's like, it doesn't, no, you're missing the point. Yeah, it's not about like just like quit quit hating, man. It's not like it doesn't matter if it's magic. Anyway, well, you know what, dude? I uh, will wrap it up on this note because, uh, well, two things. I wanted to real quick. I did mention I got to see the Cubs win Game Seven of the World Series, the most epic World Series, not just for me as a Cubs fan, but baseball fans everywhere considered such an epic finish to a hundred eight year drought. I, uh, I, I did community show in New York. You're a great show. I was in town last minute to, I had an interview with bleacher report that I didn't get. They didn't end up not doing the whole thing that they were going to do, I guess, apparently. But, uh, I had the interview and then I, you said, Hey, I'm going to have you go up and do like 10 minutes. And this is like maybe the first time ever I've done under my time. I think I did like seven and a half. Right, right. I didn't want to miss the any of the game. And there were only like, what, maybe eight, 12 people there. It was one of the lightest nights we ever had because it's fucking World Series. Yes, the very light the night. Indians and the Indians and the Cubs in game seven of the World Series. Like, who the fuck's going to see a comedy show? Exactly. And then I was watching in the main bar, and they're small because it's kind of like a hipsterish bowling alley slash uh, comedy music. I'm sure they have music there too, sometimes venue. Yeah. And uh, it was like a little analog TV that this reception wasn't great, but I, w- I was in my zone. And then when the show ended, they brought down this huge screen and we all crowded around. And I think more people who were even at the show came in like comedians hanging out. Definitely. Yeah. And that I sat down and got, got a great seat and people, you know, close friends nearby. That's when they blew it. 
and then the Indians tied it. And I remember being like, when I was out there, we were fucking cruising to a victory. I come in here and that's when I first started because I was dropping the whole superstitious shit. I was like, I'm no longer superstitious. We're a smart organization now. Knocking on wood is, is bullshit. Uh, we have Theo Epstein. I believe in him. I trust this team that he put together. And anyway, then I started to get more like, there is a curse. There, we're fucking doomed. This is insane. I can't <laughs> believe this shit. The rain delay happens. I go to the bathroom to water on my face. I'm like, no, this isn't enough. I go outside. I have a cigarette from, again, a very hipster bar. Some hipster bummed me one, but he saw me decked. I'm decked out in cub stuff. Of course. And he was like, we're pulling for you, man. I'm like, thanks. Thinking they don't even watch baseball. And uh, and I remember looking at the Empire State Building because you could see the Empire State Building perfectly from in, in front of the gutter bar. And it had it was lit up in white, white, typical white lights. And this plays into the story. I go back inside. I have my headphones on. I was listening to Oasis's first album because I just watched the Oasis documentary that came out with my little brother. So I had like, I was really into that first album, the one that wasn't as big in America, but a way better album than the one that had Wonderwall and Champagne Supernova. Anyhow, I'm in the back, like sitting on the stage. I couldn't be near people. Extra inning starts off. We score, we win. But there's a great picture that I shared a bunch that Kyle Ayers took of me. And he's, it was my head's down. You see, I have headphones. The Guinness is right next to me and I'm decked out in Cub stuff and I'm on a stage. You can see the mic stand and the stage is a little bit lit. It's a really pretty iconic photo, um, if I must say. Mm-hmm. Kyle, Kyle said though, and when he, he shared it the next day, I didn't know he took it. He shared it the next day saying, as a Royals fan, because they had won the year before, if the Cubs had lost, I would have deleted this photo and never saw the light of day. But since they won, I feel like this is a perfect photo to share. And, you know, right. I did. And I'm like, oh, dude, I, I love it. I want to frame it one day. The Cubs get that last out. As the ball chopped over to Chris Bryant, I start to take the headphones out. I get up off the stage. I start to move towards the big-ass screen. Throws it over to Rizzo. He catches it. Everyone goes nuts. I find you. I embrace you. I lift you off the ground. And I carry you up against, like, a wall or a table. And then I start dry-humping you. Yeah, it was a wall. Yeah, yeah. You wall. threw me up and against it, the wall. And, yeah. And then you said one of the best lines you could have any could have anyone could have said at that given moment. I haven't been fucked like that since 1908. Yes, it was perfect. <laughs> perfect. <laughs> after I dry hump you, you go, I haven't been fucked that good since 1908 or something like that. <laughs> Too funny. And I think I even said to you, I go, because I, I remember thinking to myself, what am I going to say when the Cubs finally win the World Series? And so this was kind of premeditated, but I remember saying to you, dude, the Cubs haven't won the world series since 2016. And that mm-hmm. just felt good to say, because my whole life I kept hearing 1908, it's never going to happen. And not only did it happen, but you, you were the first person I got to really give a I good bear it. hug to. Yeah, no, that was a, that was a very special night, man. I'll, I'll never forget it. It was, um, a uh, man, I, I, I know you're a big sports fan and, and I'm, I'm never, I never, really was. I, I was always a Cubs fan. And then basically, and I was only into baseball. And then when I started doing comedy, I sort of stopped even following baseball just because, I don't know, I was doing comedy. And, you know, if your team's doing well, then the show's canceled. And You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, we lost a lot of game shows to Blackhawks finals games and stuff. There was a, some magic in the air that year where it was like, totally recaptivated felt like a kid again you know it just felt like just made everything so simple and it, it was almost like 
I felt like the Cubs were like America's team in that time where it was just like, it was almost sort of like law of attraction in that like the whole country wanted to see the Cubs win the world series. They and did. They really did. did. And I'll never but forget. Then, I mentioned the empire state building. When I walked back outside, I looked at the empire state building and the colors had changed. It wasn't, it didn't have that white light wrapped around it. It had switched to blue and red. And then yeah. I'd heard the next day that that was for the Cubs. Yeah. And I remember I flew out that next morning. So I stayed up all night and uh, I met up with some of our comedian friends at a bar in um, Manhattan that was called Kelly's, which was a Cubs bar. It was an Irish Cubs bar in Manhattan. Mm -hmm. And when I got out of the cab, the cab let me out like a half a block down. So it was like one way street. I don't know why I, re I had to walk half a block, but I remember when the cab let me out half a block away, I could hear the whole bar singing. We are the champions. So I'm like, I got to get into this party. I walk up and the doorman is this big from Ireland, this strong accent, burly dude, decked in cub stuff. And I, I show up in cub stuff. And he's like, Ladder, you just fucking get in here. And I'm like, Yeah, he's like, get the fuck in there. And he like just even card me, smacked me in the ass. On the walk to, I was meeting Tom Brady and uh um Tom Takar, Tom Takar. sorry. A comedian friend of ours used to be Tom Brady, but obviously to change his name, Tom Takar and uh Tommy McNamara. And I'm fighting through the crowd and literally everyone you walk by high-fiving girls are kissing you on the cheek it was just like this weird like let's everyone be the most euphoric you could possibly be and then i flew out the next morning out of newark airport and all the tvs were on like good morning america and all this and that's all they were talking about the whole time i'm waiting for like to board this plane every news morning show was about the Cubs and how they were like, I'm not even a baseball fan. And my heart was beating out of my chest. I'm like, please let them do it. And everyone just, and yeah, you're right. I think the whole country really rallied behind them. Sorry, Cleveland fans, but I think there just wasn't your time. And it was finally the Cubs time. And then a week later, Trump won the election. There you go. So now I get to get the second part. So I think we put a pin in let's end on this. What do you think happens next week? And what do you think? More importantly, because like, again, it, it's a coin flip of what's going to happen. Either Trump wins or Biden wins. What happens? What do you think happens? Do you think we're going to see some some revolt, some violence on both sides, no matter what? Not necessarily. Um, but I mean, I think that it's important. I mean, I think it's really important that Biden win. And I think it's really important that he like win decisively. Yeah. Because if it's, you know, I mean, the Republicans now have the um, the Supreme Court. I mean, they've got fucking seven people on the Supreme Court now. Yeah, you know, it's like I've... this thing is so it's like if anything ends up in the courts, forget it. And uh, in terms of violence, I don't know, man. Like, like we have this kind of fucked up situation where like the people who – um, you know, wouldn't want Trump to leave office are also the people who have all the guns, you know, yeah. I mean, that's, um, what do I think is going to happen, Joe? I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I know what I'm what hoping I mean. for is, is, is an orderly election where, you know, uh, where they look, he, okay, here's what I do think. Let's try and keep it Let's look at it. There's lots of different ways to look at it. Let's look at it positively. There's a number of scenarios under which 
we won't know what happened on election night. And that's a kind of a recipe for chaos. It's very likely they've been preparing us for it. There are a few things that could happen on election night where we will know that Biden won. There's nothing that can happen on election night where we will know that Trump won because those upper Midwest states, if it's close at all, they're not going to come in because they're still going to be counting mail-in ballots. But That's true. Florida will probably, if it's, if it, unless it's a razor-thin margin, it's probably going to come in election night. If Biden wins Florida, it's over. It's over, for sure. Texas is going to come in. If Biden wins Texas, it's over. If Biden wins Pennsylvania, it's over, yeah. right? But there's no sort of bellwether like that for Trump, where like if Trump, well, I mean, okay, if Trump wins New York, it's yeah. over, but that's not going to happen. You know what I mean? Totally. No, you're right. So I'm hopeful that it'll be, you know, that one of those things will happen, that they'll announce that, yeah, okay, so uh, we're declaring, you know, we've, you know, NBC will call Florida for Biden. And yes, we don't have the full results, but everyone kind of knows what's ha happening or they'll, they'll yeah. give, or Ohio will go for Biden and then it's over, you know, that's my hope. Yeah. It's interesting because I, I'm hoping for that, like where it's, it's just an easy night, but, um, I think no matter what Trump, even if it's an easy victory, I don't think Trump gives a concession. I think he tries to play this whole mail. We got to double check and we got to be clear and all this kind of shit. That's what I'm thinking. Cause it is interesting. And I really wish that we could trust polls better. Um, I really do. It's just such a weird time in, in the world because you'd feel a little bit easier if you could trust some of these polls. Uh, Cause some of the sure. polls have Georgia 50, 50. They have uh, even right. South That's Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, North Carolina, Biden's winning right now. I mean, Obama won North Carolina in 08. He lost in 2012. But like, obviously, if North Carolina comes in and that Biden wins, you're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure this is a Biden night because it'd be weird if you won North Carolina, but then lost Michigan, you know? Right. Um, so, yeah, I think you've summed it up very, very correctly where we will know if Biden wins by if some of these earlier states flip um, some of these East Coast states. It's It's strange because. Again, Trump won by winning states that hadn't gone red in a long time. Wisconsin hadn't gone red since 88. Michigan right. hadn't gone red since like 92 or 88 even. Like there was, you know, those states flipping, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and uh, Michigan were strong Obama states, strong, not even competitive. And that's another thing that we didn't really mention because we didn't need to get too deep into it, was Hillary also ran a terrible campaign. Didn't visit Wisconsin once, kind of acted like it was hers. She deserved it and glass ceilings and it's my time. And, you know, didn't just kind of like, I don't know, didn't really fight for what anything. What an arrogant anymore. campaign, right? So arrogant. So yeah. incredibly arrogant. Where Biden isn't playing those games. Biden's even, even states that some people might be like, look, I know you're close. You're not going to win Georgia. But he's like, no, he was in Georgia yesterday. They're like not fucking around. They're really, they're in Michigan all the time. They're in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Florida. They're, they're showing up anywhere they can. Uh, Cause they're not going to make the same mistake. I mean, there's not a lot of enthusiasm because the people who are voting, here's the thing. Sorry, I'm going in laps now, but no. usually people talk about how enthusiasm is super important. I would agree, but enthusiasm towards voting against is people vote with their middle finger a lot. 
I think so many people are showing up to vote against Trump than maybe to vote for Biden. And that's kind of enthusiasm too. They might not show up to a Biden rally. It's enthusiasm, yeah. It's negative. Yeah. I look, I'm not I'm I voted, I already voted. I voted Biden, everyone. I though, if Biden was having a rally at my fucking corner, I probably wouldn't go. You know, take COVID out of it. If it was just regular right, right, circumstances, right. I'm like, do I, am I going to go two blocks down the street to listen to Biden speak? No, I don't give a shit, but I still voted for him. You know? <clears throat> this is a, a separate issue and I know we're wrapping up, so I don't want to go too deep into it, but who are these people who are supporters of anyone? I know. What, weird. like you're going to go to a rally and cheer for a politician? What the <laughs> fuck is wrong with you? Like that is embarrassing. It's yes. fucking embarrassing. And then you're going to like post about it on social media. Like wear a fucking disguise. Are you kidding yeah. me? I'm a fan of a politician. Like listen to some music or something. You know, know what I mean? Like they can't play an instrument. They can't throw a curveball. Who gives a shit? These fucking exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. So dumb. All right, dude, Lebo, man, tell everyone else where they could like follow you so they could be on the lookout for the, more official announcements about your upcoming album. This is official. Oh, baby, side note, the yeah. Dodgers won the World Series, everybody. <laughs> that, just, that just happened. I checked my phone real quick. Oh, that's, a, that's cool. I mean, that's yeah, good for them. I was, uh, I got a lot of friends in LA. The Lakers, not the Dodgers. Still on the, on the Dodgers? Kershaw's still on that team. Um, He's good at pitching, right? He is, but he was notoriously not good in October. But this year was only 60 games, so I think he was still fresh. I think he was a guy that always kind of get tired at the end. Because he was yeah. known as a choke artist, but well, he was okay. always he won. He's won like four Cy Youngs though. But that was the thing. Like great in the regular season, bombs in the playoffs. Anyway, anyway, <laughs> by the time this podcast is released, everyone will already know that. Who cares? But um, definitely. But uh, yeah, at MikeLebovitz.com. That's uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram, uh, Facebook uh, backslash Mike Leibovitz. Uh, MikeLebovitz.net. It's L-E-B-O-V. ITZ and yeah, the album drops on uh, January fifteenth. It's funny; it's, it's seven years old, and I didn't get to tell you the six years old. I didn't get to tell you the the whole story, but maybe I'll do that on another episode. I'll have but you back on again, of, man. I love talking to you. Yeah, likewise, man. But uh, yeah, man, January fifteenth, yeah. dude. Yeah, I, Joe, this was great. I fucking love you, man. And it was so awesome fun, to get man. a chance to to see where your head's at and to to see your beautiful smile and uh, and to oh, look uh, at you hear your listen. outlook on life during these trying times man so thanks for and you're gonna me. see me fucking dart off the camera because i gotta piss so bad <laughs> oh i didn't even get right, to talk I... about my diarrhea situation we'll get to oh, it next dude time. Well, i'll have you on again i'll have you on again yeah, all it. right i love all you right. so much buddy we'll talk okay. soon all right later